0: Let's broaden our minds, Lawrence.
1: From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 101 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. I'm Brendan. And we are joined by our dear friend, once again, Tyler Emerson. Tyler, great to have you back on board. Hey, gents. Good to
2: be back with you for apparently the fifth time,
1: Dan. Yes. awesome. Wow, I can't believe it. What are we going to talk about today, Brendan?
0: We are going to talk about the new General's Handbook Uh, That's Mm -hmm. obviously why we have Tyler on. Yep. And there are quite a few changes, but we're staying in the realm of Gurr.
1: So really, that's it. Yeah, and kind of break it down piece by piece, going through it, talking about some of our Preferences for certain things. We're gonna go through the battle plans We're not gonna do every one, kind of in the tradition of this show But we're gonna basically pick one each that we like and one that we don't like the endless spells We're kind of gonna go over all of those But if it's something that hasn't changed very much We're not gonna really talk about it too much just say that it's the same and move on and I think that's it other than Just everything that we normally do. So guys, let's dive right on into whispers from the war Hello yeah. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. It is hobby time, and Tyler is the guest. You get to go first. Excellent. Well, I mean,
2: you're supposed to ask me, have you painted anything yet?
1: That's what you're supposed to ask me,
2: Dan. Just, okay. just hey, hey, Tyler, have you well, painted anything yet? you have a commitment to, <laughs> <I do. laughs>
0: to the community that you are actually going to hobby.
2: Indeed, yeah. And I'm
1: really following through so far, aren't I? <laughs> uh, yeah. Based on the cue you gave me, I'm assuming you haven't done a whole lot. I. <laughs> <laughs> That's very
2: true. I've been buying things. And okay. Yeah, but it is – I'm going to have to – get off the pot here and actually get to work on some painting
1: so okay so brendan how about you for hobby stuff man uh,
0: i've built both the praetors out of the heresy box and nice. i have painted one whole revenant seeker so
1: oh all right a okay.
2: very lovely looking revenant seeker i dig yeah. that color scheme you had man thank you very nice yeah, yeah, it's, yeah
0: uh, very nice it, Took me quite a bit longer for it to come together than I probably would have liked, but I was having a very difficult time balancing the existing colors in the army with the colors that were already going to be on the model, you know, in the form of the actual revenant that's on it, mm-hmm. and how that was going to compare and/or contrast to what the fly, whatever those creatures are called, dragonflies, how that was all going to. Hair together and look like.
1: Mm, okay, so. cool. We're going down the Sylvanet yeah. path then a little bit, is what you're saying.
0: I have the army. I think it's, you know, units that look cool. The book has a play style that is really similar to the way that I've enjoyed playing sure. that battle tome historically. So, you know, just getting some of the additional tools ready, obviously, after. Uh, ATC, my next event is going to be Dragon Falls. So I've got some time to figure out what I, oh, yeah. I
1: want to do. Oh wow, That's a lot, yeah. I've got my Cairn Wraith that I need to finish up. He's been primed, and I did a little bit of edge highlighting on him. But he'll be ready to go f- for makeup if I end up doing that this weekend. Mm-hmm. And I've also got, Brendan's going to, quote, lend-lease me a Lushan, a Soul Seeker, so I can have him in my list. Because one of the things of that game we played, Brendan, was that he is really, I mean, he he can just be brutal. But the problem is he's not mobile. So in our game with Laoshan would have been a real nice thing to have because he ended up getting stuck on one side of the board. And I couldn't get him to any other juicy targets, really. So having that opportunity and that mobility with that endless spell would be really helpful to use him to his maximum efficiency so yeah those are two things I'm working on this week coming up moving on just real quickly want to make a comment on uh, angron God, that is mm. just an unbelievable model that is yeah. so wicked cool if I was gonna build that I would almost be afraid to put paint on it because I could not do anything <laughs> like the person who painted that thing he just looks so beastly cool but mm-hmm. I had to mention that we don't know where we're gonna get him or anything but it was a really cool preview
0: He's going to be a lot of bloodthirsters in Age of Sigmar, I'd imagine.
2: Ah, yes. Well, there was that other one as well. I'm trying to remember. Is it Cabanda's? The
1: yes. other bloodthirster? Cabanda, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cabanda? Yeah, he's the one who, quote, killed Sanguinius, but... Oh, okay. Quote. <laughs> right. Not quite. So
2: they had an article up, and I saw they're going to have a kit with multiple head options, including helmets. And I love the idea of helmets on bloodthirsters. I thought they looked pretty sweet.
1: (laughs) It's pretty neat. The big release thing is the new contrast paint line. So basically you can trash all your old paints, just throw them in the trash. The future's (laughs) here. No, that's... As I said here, that is satirical commentary. That is all that is. Obviously, from what I've seen, a lot of people are recommending you just pick and choose because mm-hmm. they're saying that, like, there's three or four different yellows and they almost all look the same. You kind of pick which one you want and go with that. And there's like three or four different blues. You pick which one you like and you go with that. And yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody will use whatever is, you know, most helpful for their particular hobby projects, but it's cool. You know, it's a new option, it's a new tool in the toolbox. Yeah, I don't plan on it, but I got my speed paints now. So I finally was able to pick up the whole set that came in from Army Painter. I'm looking forward to using those. We got really exciting pre-orders yesterday, Brendan. All the Rat Heroes came out. Almost all the Rat Heroes. And that is really cool. And I'm sure you were very excited about that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The other thing, as we're recording here, there's a big skirmish game preview going on online, and we'll find out what that is after we finish recording to see what they talked about. So things like, obviously, Necromunda and Warcry and all that stuff. Heresy, you said you'd done a couple things, Brendan, right, on your Heresy stuff? I've built two
0: of the Praetors. I've gotten a couple of my generic Marines painted as I work on the scheme. Just kind of plugging away. I haven't really built too many, like, fully fleshed out lists yet. You know, my attention has been elsewhere doing other things but you know just kind of one of those things to just kind of work on if i've got an hour and a half i want to be painting but i i really don't know what
1: (laughs) sure yeah i saw doug sent me a picture from two plus tough he got his land raider and i think 20 tactical marines done so he's really diving in pretty hard um i am waiting for after this event in indy but when i come back from that i'm going to start my kratos I did get the giant beastie tank. I kind of want to do some stuff with dry brushing on that and layering um, that I've seen on some other vehicles. So that'll be uh, my project for heresy. Moving on then, games played other than Sigmar. I'm starting another, god what is this the 10th time, Tiberium Wars. Mm -hmm. I'm doing another redux on that. That really is the only thing. I haven't had a whole lot of time to play other stuff or play other games. How about Tyler, Brendan, you guys been doing anything other than some Sigmar stuff or? Nothing other than Sigmar. Okay. Brendan, anything for you?
0: Yeah, not even really playing any video games right now. It's just been mostly work and then in some of the free evenings, getting practice games in.
1: Sure, that makes sense. Okay, so now, Tyler, you're up. Man, mm. you can tell us about your Sigmar games. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we had a one day or yesterday and actually only had six players which is highly irregular we had a number of folks who were out and usually the st louis crew comes down to metagames oh yeah where you guys played yeah they usually come down but we've got midwest bash happening next weekend so they had a good excuse this time we had yeah seraphon lumineth night haunt two Stormcast, oh. three Stormcast. oh wow 50% of the field, sounds about right. Yeah, guys, Midwest Bash is going to have 33 players so far, I think. 10 Stormcast players. Wow. Holy m... Yeah. <laughs> and, Jeez. yeah, I'm not helping matters.
1: Oh, okay. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, yesterday was interesting. Like, didn't do very well with the Stormcast list that I've been running I'm going to bring to Midwest Bash. Played Seraphon Game 1 and then Lumineth Game 2. So, there's a theme... You know, between Seraphon and Lumineth, <laughs> when Stormcast faced them. There, there's something that those armies do that Stormcast don't like. And they do it really, really well. That's Mortal Wounds, obviously.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, but I wanted to mention a few things. One is my friend Dan, he's been running this list that he calls the Croak Crawl. So, of course, everybody will take at least five or maybe ten Soros Guard right for Croak. Oh, yeah. And he takes 20 Soros Guard. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> oh, a true Death Star that shambles up to hang out in the middle of the board with an Astrolith Bear, putting out, you know, Celestial Deliverance, Mortal Wound, Spam Spell, oh. 16-inch range, putting out Compens Call, and now putting out at least one of these quite powerful new Endless Spells, like Gnashing Jaws. And Gnashing Jaws really loves munching on some 4-inch, 5-inch moves, Stormcast, I come to fi- find out. I think one roll, he rolled a 15 oh. on three dice against protectors with a four-inch move. 11 more wins.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Like,
2: cool. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. I was hanging out uh. in the salt mines yesterday, doing some work, gentlemen. Having a good time.
1: Oh, God. Good. Oh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> good. I mean, practice is practice, right? Even when you're getting your butt kicked. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's good for you. Get your butt kicked every once in a while. Brendan, you had a one-dayer yeah. yesterday, too, didn't you?
0: did have a one-dayer as a tune-up for ATC. Well, when the show comes out, will be the weekend that you're hearing it. had three games, working on getting prepared for that. I, playing, and since this won't be out in time for anyone to do any scouting, it's playing true. Night Haunts. Yeah, just needed to get some last few miles in before this submission, which is today, with the final iterations.
1: Did you make any last-minute changes, or was yesterday formative for you in terms of, uh, you know, discoveries or things that you thought might work better, or...
0: Proof of concept. Okay. Some of the frustrations that I had been having in the last couple games, figuring out... Basically, going into yesterday, I had two changes in mind. A swap of artifacts, one where the need was the turn you need it versus you know the rest of the game oh. and I found in my games prior that I was really hoping for you know the utilization over the length of the whole game that one special turn didn't matter as much mm. the other was providing some defense to some of my worst matchups with a low investment cost I did get paired into a bad matchup just obviously you know randomly because it's an event. I managed to hold out and keep the points down on that win, which is exactly my goal. When I get a bad matchup is keep them from scoring as much as possible. I got a medium matchup and I got a green light matchup. And in the green light matchup, I got just about as many points as you could possibly take. So that's what I need to be looking for in those kinds of matchups. And then in my medium matchup, I got a fair few. So Good. I'm likely not making any changes past what I had on Saturday just because... That last little bit, it was like, if it doesn't work, I'm going back to what I was doing before. And if it did work, that was what I was going to pursue.
1: Perfect. Great.
0: Uh, Iterative design process over the last
1: yeah. two and a half months. Yeah, it's been a long time since you started doing that. The only um, game... And
0: then uh, had to scrap uh, it because oh, yeah. the edition changed.
1: <laughs> the only game I've had is the one we played on Dias Cast, and I made the two changes. I changed out a <laughs> endless spell, and then I substituted a unit. So... We'll see if that all works out. I think it will. We'll find out soon enough. Otherwise, I was very happy with my list and what it did. Obviously, Night Hunt. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was it for me. How about we got e- we got events coming up, and we're all going to events next weekend, hopefully. I mean, you got ATC, yeah. Brendan, Tyler. You got what mashup up in St. Louis. Midwest Bash, yeah. Yeah, and then I've got Midwest Makeup. We've got all the other stuff on the list. Uh, I'm not going to go through it all again. I will ask the question, though, anything new on your stuff, Brendan, on your event? Nope. Okay.
0: Uh, it's also admittedly not been very high on my
1: priority list. I understood. And you've got a lot of other stuff coming up, so... But i got to ask, just people want to know. Mm-hmm. All right, man. That's it, gents. I think we are going to move on to the, the meat of the show, and we're going to talk about... GHB 2223
2: season one. Man, what are we, a team? No, 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 we're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb.
1: All right, we're hitting up General's Handbook, and the first thing we're gonna do is, if any of us have any kind of general commentary or thoughts, my one thing is, so this is, from what I can see now, this is gonna be semi-annual, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't, I, just again, my opinion. I don't like that as much for the reason that I think a lot of people that play it takes them time to learn their armies or learn the game, you know, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like enough time when you get rules in July, let's say and all of a sudden in December you got a whole new set of rules and maybe you've gone to one, maybe two events and you're going, what? A whole new set Mm -hmm. of rules? I just learned that one. It just seems like a, a very rapid turnover, especially considering we get Battle Scroll updates, what every three months, we get the a normal update every six months. So we get a lot of changes to the rules or updates to the rules anyway. And doing that to me is it just smells a little bit of money grab. And I don't know that for the vast majority of players if it's a good thing. I, but again, that's my opinion. What do you guys think about it, Brendan? You want to start?
0: I think it's a terrible thing for the points that. Illustrated where you have it on an increased frequency. I think that alone is not very good. A lot of this can be handled in a large winter FAQ that you release for freight. If you want to release format changes within that, perfect. That's fine. We've seen them willing to take swings with that. The other bit of it going semi annual is the price increased from General's Handbooks in the past, where it was previously $35, as $50 US. So your net purchase to play in these events year round. Is now going to be uh, hundred dollars, which is pretty close to a three hundred percent or sorry, a two hundred percent increase mm-hmm. of the cost that you were you know, expected to participate in in terms of publications that you needed to effectively play the
1: games. Tyler, how about you?
2: Yeah, I'm generally in alignment with you guys. I think. So from the point of view of the broader player base, you know, casual players and so on, I suspect it's a really bad idea Uh, from the point of view of the painting meta, you know, how long it can take paint armies. Yes, yes, Uh, yes. I hear from friends all the time who are, I don't know if they would qualify as slower painters. They certainly see themselves as, you know, slower than average painters, but it takes them a while to put out armies especially because many of them like to put out nice looking armies and yeah they feel already with the existing pace of change that we've got you know by the time they may have completed an army of 2000 points that army is going to have to do more painting because points have changed or war scrolls have changed or a new battle tome is out or so on and so and yeah we'll see you know we don't have the full picture yet until we have at least one year of the season one and season two right So we'll see what they do with the second book, but if they're putting out a product that's going to be $50. Presumably they're going to feel that there has to be enough new content in that product to justify it. I'm sure we'll get mostly new battle plans. We got 12, we'll probably get another set of 12. But will we get a new set of realm rolls when this set that we just got was already a sizable change from where we were that had a really sizable impact in my mind Mm -hmm. on army composition and what we're going to be playing and so on and so forth. So yeah, we'll see, but it feels like a bad idea.
1: Any other general comments before we jump into speaking of realm rules, anything else?
2: I mean, I don't know if you guys want to do that. I'd be really curious to hear our, our perspectives at a high level on this General Sandbook season one, 2022. You know, just like, do we think this is in terms of the quality of it kind of overall,
1: you know, how would you rate it? Do we think it's good? Is it bad? Yeah. I think uh, for me, the, the realm rule change with the Galatian veterans, I think it's a, a really good change because I think it forces people who were in those ruts in terms of my army is so good, etc. It's forcing hmm. them out of that now and they're going to have to come up with other solutions to win games. And I really like that because this is a real sea change in terms Mm -hmm. of how you build your armies, what you do with them. I also like the fact that at first, and Brendan, you and I talked about this, but at first the strategies and tactics were like, oh my God, these are going to be impossible. But then as I'm playing games or I'm looking at them more and more and I'm thinking about what goes on in the table, they're actually pretty good. And That's, again, my opinion, but I like the changes. So overall, I have no problems with this book. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to present us with a different way to play, and, and that's never a bad thing. So... Cool. Yeah, what's your high level sense, Brendan?
0: That's a little bit tougher. We'll have a brief moment of honesty here with the show. Yeah, of course. I've not enjoyed 3.0 as an addition as much as I have previous ones. Outside of playing Soulbite Gravelords early, there's not really much I really grabbed onto Outside of going to your event, Tyler, and playing some Sylvaneth with the express written intention of, we're going to play a faction that's unperforming, and we're going to try and get the most mileage out of it as possible. Folks know me as a competitive player, and I like playing competitively, and I like winning. i found that the competitive games in 3.0 have been deeply uncompelling. In what I bring, what my opponents do, most of these games at the high-end competitive level, i found that you can provide a high reliability of... In this matchup, in this mission, this person is likely to win for X, Y, Z reason, and with limited exception, uh, in my experience, that has proven to be accurate. So I've already been very lukewarm on the addition as a whole, and so my hope was with this General's Handbook that we were going to get a sea change, maybe drive some motivation, but I've not particularly enjoyed it very much. I can't quite put my finger on what I'm not liking I don't know any other way of putting it than I'm almost not interested in the competitive aspect of this game right now.
1: The, wow. The, wow.
0: <laughs> that's odd. It's true. You know, it's not to say that the folks I've played haven't been, you know, good opponents and we've had good and fair games, but I, you know, historically have walked away from events with, you know, some level of excitement, some level of motivation, something that I want to work on, something that I want to tweak and, you know, even walking away from your event Tyler, I didn't leave with any high-end motivations other than I would like to come back to this event, you know, because this gave Mm -hmm. me the permission effectively to work in an environment where it's fair play and expected of you to, you know, to take your foot off the gas. Like, you know, I wasn't on full wins like Tom was. I had suffered a minor loss, so I had managed to keep the pressure on him going into game five of, if you don't win this, you don't do what you're supposed to, you know, there's a chance of getting jumped. And that sort of you know, jockeying and things like that, I think was very interested because Tom and I were almost having our own event within the events, you know, regardless of the fact that he ended up winning it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally.
0: I'm not super high on a lot of the battle plans.
2: Oh, no. I'm okay
0: with the grand strategies being difficult. I'm okay with the battle tactics being difficult. Mm -hmm. There is actually a compelling build in armies to do battle tactic denial of your opponents, which I think can be rather clever in a non Legion of the First Prince sense which could drive some wins and make some other matchups for your opponents difficult. It generates the question of, you know, permission of grand strategies and battle tactics out of the battle tomes, but that's a far (laughs) lengthier discussion, the health and wellness of the game state. Sure. I'm not too high on this handbook, and the fact that, you know, we're living with it for six months is, you know, a little exciting to me in the fact that uh, maybe they get the next one right, or it's a oh, cool, I have to spend more money on something that I'm
1: kind of medium on. Sure. Mm. Tyler, how about you? What are your overall thoughts? Yeah, so
2: for me, after getting about a dozen games in so far with the new edition, I'm liking it more than met the eye initially, more than I thought I would initially. There are a couple of standout issues in my mind, starting with... uh, Probably pretty obvious one to you guys, Bounty Hunters, which we'll get into. Yeah, I think that Bounty Hunters, just to quickly state it, Bounty Hunters gives you plus one to damage to all melee profiles for essentially a troops unit. Now, a Terror Geist and Gristlegore can qualify as a troop because they can become, become battle line in Grisogor, or Trade Guard, dragons and you know, with a Krondus or Karazai or whatnot as your general can qualify as battle line. So you can have plus one of damage to your dragons, to Fulminators, to really powerful units in the game, many of which we had already seen, you know, you had clear reasons to run. Gorg and Iron Jaws because of two damage and how fast they were. Well, now your Gorg can be three damage.
0: That's Can a, they? That's... I don't know. The Pandora's <laughs> box that got opened with a ruling that I'm not sure who anybody was asking for, Yeah. Uh, that I'm referring to is an FAQ of the Killian King for profile changes regarding flaming weapon followed by Wave rider and mm-hmm. sequencing of effects. There has been a sizable amount of Warhammer lawyer litigation that's yeah. been going on, and it is one of the most unintended consequences choice of words that we've had in a long time for this game
2: yeah definitely but yeah setting that aside the experience of bounty hunters has certainly been frustrating right i can't even begin to imagine i guess if you're maybe a newer player you don't have six seven years invested in this game and built-in expectations you know in terms of what's supposed to happen what's not supposed to happen as games go along 20 Soros warriors are not supposed to blow up a unit of 30 plus wounds. They can now because of this new battalion. So that's number one, but everybody's talking about that. And I think for a good reason, just kind of what it does to the damage output in the game and how it feels. The second piece is the endless spells. They've always struggled with endless spells, right? Like we've had times where largely they've been ignored. I'd say for the most part, that was 2021 where, you know, we had a few, but most of them were not played. I think it's fair to say and, or at least not played, you know, to a meaningful degree. Now that's quite different. We have so many endless spells that are very attractive for various reasons. Some of them are doing major damage. Now it's not going to be significant damage against every army. You know, like you look at Ravenic Snatching Jaws, it's really good against slower armies. Nine Haunt may not care as much about it because they've got like a base 8-inch move, right? Right, right. So I have, now, I mean, this is weighted by... Certainly, my experience playing Stormcast and most of these games, I've been playing Stormcast and Nurgle. So, you know, I have been feeling a little bit of both ends of the spectrum, where Stormcast cannot stand Mortal Wounds. And I've been playing a lot of armies that just do an excessive number. And then playing Nurgle, that can offset Mortal Wounds pretty well. So kind of getting both ends of the spectrum, I feel. You know, there's some other factors, but those two really stand out. I think ultimately, though, for me, it is the bounty hunters battalion that's causing Mm -hmm. uh, the most issues I find I'm enjoying the battle plans on average more than I thought with some of them I think the battle plans are you know as a whole around where we've had the set of battle plans historically with these books you know where we get I'd say at least half that are playable at events as you know regular battle plans or maybe up to two
1: thirds that are playable.
2: I feel like we're around two thirds with this set, but we can get into the
1: details later on that. Well, thank you, gents. Good. So, are we ready to jump into the realm rules and talk about those a little bit. Let's talk about special rules. The first thing we have Masters of Splintered Land, and this is where the friendly battle line units have a wound characteristic of four or less that don't have mounts. That's really important. Gain the Galatian Veterans. And, God, we've gotten like 20 different ways to. I've heard, you know, heavy jeevies, I've heard gelatins, I've heard God knows what. So <laughs> there's so many names for these guys. They get a keyword, and it's Galatian Veterans. And then we have Proving Grounds, which is interesting. Brendan, why don't you talk about that one? Because you've used that, I think, to your advantage in a couple of games.
0: Yes, I have. So I've been playing a lot of Night Haunts and. Obviously, I can't get around really not having Galatian veterans unless you run basically solo hex rates. So one of the things that you can use to your extreme advantage is the Proving Grounds. At the start of each battle round, after the players have determined who will take the first turn, the player who will take the second turn can pick one objective on the battlefield to be the Proving Ground. Until the end of that battle round, the same objective cannot be picked as the Proving Ground. More than once per battle except for the mission where you can and only one objective can be marked as the proving ground at any one time only models in with, in units with the Galatian veterans keyword can contest an objective marked as the proving ground that ends up being pivotal because one of the things that you can do is you can actually take an objective that your opponent would hope to control and make it uncontrollable for them if they haven't made the adequate investments in Galatian veterans or they have you know seized control of that objective handily and your one little yes. you know, 25 millimeter single <laughs> oh, wound model it's that you, true. Know, you break down the points is like six mm-hmm. points or something like oh, that. Oh, God, that's uh, so funny. Can stand there and they can hold it and it belongs to them.
1: And I think this is a bit of a balance. Tyler, you know, you had mentioned bounty hunters. So somebody is right. going to go heavy on bounty hunters, fine. This is a way to get around that. Right, Your bounty hunters are most of your army, but they can't. No matter what they do, they can't take that objective. So, yeah, I like that rule. I think it's a good one.
2: Well, bounty hunters, of course, Dan, can be veterans themselves. Although true. That's I true. I think a lot of, well, we'll see. It's certainly a perceived consensus, I would say, among Competitive players, or at least a weak consensus, would be that you want to minimize your number of veterans in your list if you can. As Brennan said, not all armies can. Yeah. Lumineth and Nighthaunt Hunt, so on. But if you can to do it, you know, where you've got Fulminators or Kurnoth Hunters or Blightlords or Pigs. Yeah, these pieces that can be Battleline in particular, yeah, but not qualify as veterans and still get the benefit of bounty hunters right, right. so but yeah you're right it can be a, a balancing a little bit mechanism Yeah. I was pretty skeptical about it initially again and getting more games in and starting to get a better feel for it it was hard to get my head wrapped around this it's, it's definitely one I feel you have for most of us we need to experience it right try to look for opportunities by which to leverage it and try to think ahead as best one can yep. to you know, where the game might be going and, yeah, when to play this card. Getting a little bit better at it, yeah, I'm seeing more value in it uh, as an offset.
1: Okay, Bonds of Battle. Now, this obviously for me is a favorite with all my 32 mil mm. uh, bases, but why don't you talk about Bonds of Battle Eric Tyler, for us? Yeah, definitely. The sh- long and
2: short of it is you're basically fighting in two ranks. Essentially, okay, so Brendan's got a unit of 10 Chain ras I've got a unit of 10 Liberators. And I'm charging in, I've got this 2 by 5 setup right, I've got 5 libs in front rank, 5 libs in back rank, as long as a Liberator model in that front rank is within a half inch of yeah. one of his models, yep. and then a Liberator model in that second rank is within a half inch of one in that front rank, that model in the back can fight. So it's, you're just looking at half inches sure. in terms of qualifying sure. to get your, it's very easy to do. It's very fast. I love this roll. It yep. feels like it could be a, become a, a
1: part of the core rules here. Yeah, I hope so. I really do. That would be great. Okay, so those are our special rules. We have one magic spell that's new. It's the Gaze of Gur. It has a casting value of 7, a range of 12. If successfully cast. Pick one enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. When determining the number of models in the enemy unit that are contesting an objective, your opponent must have that number rounding down. Thoughts?
0: deeply situational. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: That's what I was going to use, the S-word, yeah.
0: I can see some value in it when you're up against an expert Conqueror's unit where you really need to kind of tip the scales a little bit for Conqueror's as a new battalion, which we'll talk about in just a second. It's very specifically casting value of 7, difficult to do, range of 12 inches, super short. Mm. When determining the number of models in that enemy unit, have it. So, rounding down. So... You have one Mega Gargant, and it yeah. goes to zero. Is that 29?
2: <laughs> Is it right. zero?
0: Is it still 30? Questions that weren't answered in the FAQ, but boy, oh boy. Let's open up Pandora's box of the order of operations.
1: And then we have the Realm Command, which, again, in my opinion, I, don't, I just don't know here. You could use this command ability at the end of the charge phase. Units that receive this command must be a Galatian veteran's has 10 or more models. Pick one enemy unit within one inch of that unit that has a wounds characteristic of four or less, roll a die. If the roll is greater than the number of models in the enemy unit, the strike last effect applies. I just don't see this happening from a practical standpoint very often because mm. most of the Galatian veterans units that you're gonna have or face are going to have at least 10 models. Most, not mm-hmm. all. But most of them going have ten models. You can't roll more than a six. This is gonna be really tough unless you've taken that unit down to like three or something. Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I just don't know. It strikes me as a rule that had some changes and developments.
2: Yeah, it's not going to be relevant. You know, it's yeah. largely a skip. You know, if you're as you said, if you're facing three Kurnov hunters. Or two Blight Lords, maybe you take, if you've got plenty of CP, in yeah. your charge phase, you take a chance on a four up against those three Kernoth Hunters just to get a, you know some benefit. You
0: can't even pick Kernoth Hunters. Because oh, you're right. The That's enemy I mean. unit has to, has to a have of of a wounds characteristic of four or less. Yeah. So the number of eligible targets is silly, because if this was just anything and you had to beat it, this is a great monster killer. Sure. That would be an incredible means of saying, like, this is the infantry edition, you know, monsters are toast, here's a great application, you can use it to drown heroes in a mass of bodies, but no, it's some weird, like, infantry v. infantry command ability, the unit has to be five or less to get any value out of this, and you're charging in with 10, mind you, 10 or more. What is the possible target
1: for this? You know, the issue here is that there are so many other command abilities that we have in this game and in our individual armies, this one is way down the priority list for spending a point. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh yeah, here's five others that I'd rather spend a command point on it. So, yeah. Bull gores,
2: flamers, screamers. I had created this spreadsheet a while back, guys, uh, whenever we first got some of these details. Crypt flares, crypt horrors. It's a very tiny list of Mm. what actually would qualify. Sure. Yeah,
1: you've got some Trogoths that you could throw in there, but Yay, yeah, it's a it's pretty small list. So let's move on to the two core battalions, which are a key change. This, these are very, very important battalions in the game now.
0: Important to note, Alpha Beast Pack, Hunters of the Heartland, are gone. Yes. Uh, they have been replaced mm-hmm. with these two.
1: Yep. Brandon, why don't you talk about Conquerors, and then Tyler, why don't you talk about Bounty Hunters for us <laughs> after that?
0: Yeah, so Expert Conquerors is two mandatory troops, one optional troop. They must be Galatian veterans. So you use this battalion. Each model in this battalion counts as three models for the purposes of contesting objectives. Okay. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. I found already that it's proved an effective means. When you're playing Galatian veteran heavy armies, you really don't have any choices in terms of, you know, not being able to take them. Then having units that can just... Count as more models than your opponent has in their army can be uh, <laughs> Yeah. Can be pretty effective. Yeah.
1: yeah. that twenty brick of chain rafts, that that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So bring sixty your, models, good luck. Bring your giant. I, I, I really don't care. Sixty is bring more two. than yeah, bring two giants. Right. Yeah. How about bounty hunters here?
2: Yeah, the rule is headhunters, if the target of attack made with a melee weapon by a modelist battalion is a Glacian Veterans units. That is, if you're targeting a Glacian Veterans unit, yep. attacking them, add one to the damage characteristic of that weapon for that attack. So, a few things. If you've got multiple melee weapon profiles, uh, you can, again, the, setting oh, the facts aside, <laughs> right? Lords, you can add one to the damage characteristic of each melee profile. And. This is not limited to Galatian veterans themselves. That is for the eligible troops that can be put into this battalion. Mm -hmm. Both of these are up to three. You cannot have two Expert Conquerors battalions in your list. You're limited to a max of one of each of these. Yeah, guys, this is obviously highly impactful with the amount of damage that you can do now in the game with so many different units. Given that it's not limited in any way, I mean, the TLDR. I think this probably should have been limited in some way. There's a half dozen ways you could have limited it instead of allowing it to be eligible to any troop. Sure. Thank goodness for yeah. our Cruciators. That's all I'm going to say. Man. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cruciator, Seraphon certainly doesn't care too much about this. I mean, if you've got a right. baseline of two damage, yeah, and you can get up to three, then you go back to two against Scaly Skin with Seraphon. But maybe we can talk at a high level about the interplay of these two. I mean, going into this new season, looking at the uh, new book initially, again, the thought was, Bounty Hunters is going to rule the roost. There's going to be an imbalance of value between Expert Conquerors and Bounty Hunters. Getting some games in, I'm feeling a little bit better, but still struggling with Bounty Hunters. But certainly starting to get a better feel, I think, for the value of Expert Conquerors, particularly in relation to some of these battle plans and battle tactics. How you win the games, right? Like what you need to do to win games and the value that Expert Conquerors can bring to the table. But yeah, uh, maybe,
1: Dan, what are your thoughts on these two? In terms of both of these, I think it's interesting because based on your army, you can kind of play with both. You you can kind of have both in your army to do different things, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I appreciate my Nighthaunt list is because I actually have, for the grand strategy purpose, I've got like seven, six or seven, I think, uh, Galatian veterans in my army. It's a lot. But I can also make some of those, to your point, bounty hunters, Tyler, you know. I can have those powerful units that go out and hunt and try to knock out other people's Galatian veterans that have three model count for one. On the other hand, I've got a couple of large units, 20 models, whatever it is, that can serve the purpose of grabbing objectives. So I like it because, again, I think there is a balance in these two And honestly, for at least, again, from my perspective, if I've got a unit of Fulminators or a unit of whatever else is going to just punch the heck out of me, adding one to the damage, they're going to kill my unit either way, (laughs) you know? Mm. Other than if it's like a a unit of 10 Blade Geist or something, I think you just have to look at what your opponent has and look at how you're going to use your army and the the units that you're... the way you're designating these battalions and go with that. I I mean, I'm sure there are people that are going to make armies that are 100% bounty hunters. You know, I mean, what? not 100%, but they're going to have three huge units that are bounty hunters that they can just go and just sweep other people's Galatian veterans off the board, those kind of things, and that's fine. Also with this, there's one battle plan that's just atrocious, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of tournament play. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think it's interesting, and I think it gives people with that infantry focus them some more options than they used to have. Okay, cool. Brendan, what are your thoughts at a high level with these two? I just thought
2: it'd be good to go into a little bit more detail with these two because, right, they're so consequential, so fundamental to this new season.
0: They're extremely consequential. That can't be understated effectively. Bounty Hunters is going to, I think, drive the first set of early meta decisions Mm -hmm. where if it's so prevalent, people will move off of taking Galatian veterans, effectively forcing The choice to not take bounty hunters at the top end of list taking, because if that's something you're expecting to deal with, those assignments can be better allocated to other units. The moment bounty hunters move out of prevalence, you'll see an increase in expert conquerors and they will kind of cycle in and (laughs) out uh, around each other. If a whole-scale decision is not made to effectively move away from having Galatian veterans, then bounty hunters and expert conquerors will exist in peaceful ways. I think you're more likely to see a hard swing one direction than the other, and all it's going to take is one super stellar army, and I think that list already exists in the form of the Puscoil Blightlords list with bounty hunters. Yeah, you're losing the one drop out of it, but... The ability to take your two fours and then run Battle Regiment, the rest of it, bring you to three drop, which gets you below that magical Mm -hmm. like 3.75 number, it still means that you're likely going to have choice, still means that you're going to be able to dictate play in the matchup, and at the same time, you are going to be able to output even greater damage than you were before, even if you're not utilizing it.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Scary stuff. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean, my head of the guys, like I said, uh, similar to Brendan, think bounty hunters will define the early meta. I suspect there will be more of a shift over time where the value of expert conquerors, both on paper and in reality will go up or it's like the perceived value on paper and in reality will go up it'll become better appreciated over time that could be hopium talking but that's the hope mm. That in my experience after about a dozen games so i mean there's so much to be said about just these two battalions right in terms of the effects that it can have on the ecosystem part of me wonders like i was trying to figure this out for the review show we did on warmer weekly trying to figure out what do I really think about this and I think part of it is this feeling of uncertainty and potential significant change maybe that's affecting my early takes on this in an unhealthy way where in fact this could be a net positive to the ecosystem with regard to expanding the viable variety that you can run an army list when you combine all of these elements together: battle tactics, grand strategies, battle plans, these battalions, and then these realm rolls. Right. I think there's a pretty good argument for greater viable variety than where we were in the last mm-hmm. season, and I thought last season was pretty good itself. Monsters are still relevant. I don't know if they're as relevant, but certainly still relevant. With hunters of the Heartland going away, that's a huge benefit to monsters. We've got some clear benefits, yeah, some downsides, but also some benefits for running veterans. You may want to be looking more or less considering MSU, multiple small units, right? Where hmm. if they're going to blow up 20 Soros Warriors, maybe consider only letting them blow up 10, or if they're going to blow up, uh, I don't know, this is something, a, a better example, right? But right. kind of that that idea. I always thought about this with Sivanath where I got to the point I was just running units of 10 dryads instead of the dryad spam that we saw in 2017-2018 because it was so easy to blow up 30 dryads. I'm just going to let you blow up 10 and that'll be a speed bump, etc. So with more MSU, you you could have maybe even 3x5 or 3x10 MSU in an expert conquerors while having a lot of other MSU where you're building in layers and you're trying to protect your expert conquerors by keeping the bounty hunters away from them. But in the aggregate, your model count is going to be higher than your opponent. You know, like that crow call list that I mentioned that I played against yesterday. Dan, my friend, is running 2 by 20 source warriors and a unit of 20 source guard all in bounty hunters. That's 60 models, but there are a lot of lists that could easily get up to higher model count to offset that. And if they have ways to minimize the damage output that those bounty hunters can do through layers, through whatever, you might be able to do really well in objective play against that. So, like, when I go through the list of different, you know, war scrolls that one could play, I see incentives for playing about everything. Mounts, mid-size infantry, elite infantry. Yeah, there's going to be some cost to running these small one-two-wound veterans units, monsters, heroes. So, again, it could be hopium talking, but I think there might be an interesting case to be made over time that the ecosystem has gotten better in terms of viable variety.
1: Well, you know, one other thing I was thinking about with the bounty hunters is they are still or can be vulnerable to mm. hunting themselves. So if I've got right. a list with a lot of Galatian veterans, to your point, Tyler, earlier you said that bounty hunters may themselves be Galatian veterans. Oh, well, guess what? I get plus one, <laughs> I get plus one damage against them. But if somebody's right. built a list that's focused on that bounty hunter piece, you know, that's where their strength is. If you could take out just one of those three units or maybe two, then everything they do is gone. They're helpless then because they Mm -hmm. can't do anything about your Galatian veterans units. So Mm -hmm. you also, I think, depending on who you're playing and and what the army is, you're opening yourself up to a vulnerability that you have to be careful about.
2: Now, again, I have a heavy bias, as Brennan knows, toward running these... Combined arms list, you know, where mm. they're designed to not be skewed, to not be spam. Mm. It's just what I enjoy playing. I've always enjoyed playing, right? So, when, so it's very natural to want to do that where you're taking, say, at least two units in Expert Conquerors and at least two units in Bounty Hunters. And I've, you know, mm-hmm. so like Nurgle, when I got into Nurgle a month ago, two by ten Plague Bears, cool, there's Expert Conquerors. And then uh, Blight Kings, Blight Lords, Plague Drones, they were all in Bounty Hunters, because mm. why not? Mm-hmm. and then a couple of other nice pieces. It's a really well-balanced list, a lot of fun. It's doing great. Kind of, It's not the usual Blightlord spam, right? It's an amazing list to play. Okay, so that has created some incentives in the games that I've played with Nurgle so far where my opponents have been feeling more pressure to deal with those plague bearers early. Now, they, all, mm-hmm. they kind of already need to deal with them anyway because their screens, their bodies, but, and I've felt that as well in playing both Stormcast and Nurgle, where if I'm facing Expert Conquerors, it creates, in some instances, a situation where I really need to try to focus on them early. Otherwise, I'm going to get down in objective scoring early. And then I have to run the equation, am I going to be able to catch up late in the game in terms of objective scoring plus battle tactics to win in the end? Sometimes it's hard to do that calculus, right? In like round one or two, if you're not scoring much objective-wise, can you actually catch up? So, at least, at least for me. So, anyway, I found that okay. interesting that expert conquerors can be uh, an incentive for your opponent to have to focus on them, otherwise they risk getting down to really an objective scoring. I, that's not a general rule. Like, that's going to be, you know, situational depending on list. And You have any
1: final thoughts, Brendan, on this? or?
0: I think we've covered it pretty okay. effectively. There are going to be meaningful changes to folks' lists that completely outside of, you know, just point changes. Like, the environment has changed and and there will be you know, consequence to that.
1: Sure. Gents, let's move on to strategies and tactics. And I think you made reference, Brendan, earlier to the fact that let at least compared to what we were dealing with before, these strategies for sure are more difficult to achieve. And at first, as many times, at first I wasn't a, a fan, but then you kind of convinced me the other way. So I don't have a problem with them now. As I look at them, as I continue to look at them, I look at my army and what my units can do, I think they are achievable, not maybe as easily, but they definitely are achievable. It got down to the point when the old one was, well, take some wizards, take some troops, take some boring, you know, do something that's going to make it so that I really have to think about what's happening during the game, keep track of that, or else I'm going to lose those three points. I have to think about that. Mm, and I have to right. think about that the whole game. If it's just have some wizards on the board, I, n- I never even thought about it. 99% yep. of my games, one wizard was going to survive and I was going to get my three points. Yep. I think you're right. Yeah, Dan, they're definitely better
2: than a lot better, right? So you said it. The three that were always taken prize sorcery, beastmaster, and hold the line. Beastmaster, keep a monster alive. Prize sorcerer, keep a wizard alive. uh, Hold a line, keep a battle line unit alive. Those things share something obvious in common. (laughs) They're all Mm -hmm. survive-oriented. Now, we have something else in common with most of these grand strategies, at least in my mind, looking at them initially, which is that I think they have maybe a little bit too much win-more orientation to them where... Now, maybe that's not that avoidable, and I think it's certainly healthier than where we were, Having those survive-oriented grand strategies, particularly those three that I mentioned, yeah, it just made it too easy most of the time for too many armies. But with this, the win-more idea, you know, is that I think a number of these do get considerably harder if you're getting your butt whipped. At the same time, there are enough variety here that, in terms of your list-building strategy, in-game tactics, in-game decisions... There's a fair amount of control I think you can often exert on your ability to yeah do what you need to get done uh, with these grand strategies even if you are getting your butt whipped in a number of games. That's not always going to be the case, but yeah, no, on the whole I'm I, I like them. They're certainly a lot better. Brendan,
0: I think the question that has to be asked is going to be around the inclusion and regulation of grand strategies in battle tomes versus what is available in General's Handbook. I think the comparison, with one noted exception being Daughters of Cain, that the grand strategies that are represented in Battle Tomes are of equal and equivalent difficulty to those presented in the Grand Strategy in the General's Handbook and provide meaningful and compelling decision making. Mm-hmm. Which I like because how many Battle Tomes have we looked at? How many White Dwarfs have we looked at where I am left exasperated? at the notion that these are included <laughs> yes. and would provide any sort of thought for you as a player to take, you know, you'd be giving up three free points unless, you know, you were going for a very specific theme. Mm. I like them in the inclusion of the battle tome strategies and tactics, with the noted exception being the Daughters of Cain one that you get for free as long as you played the game. <laughs> you know, the 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 one being where all of your units have to have fought or died. I have largely been anti-ban. I do think that, given the context of everything else, that that one is worth placing a ban status on, and then permitting grand strategies from all of the remaining in that book, and then the rest of the battle tomes and white doors that would be available.
2: Dan, I was talking with Brendan uh, a week ago. I can't remember. We were ch- we were talking about this, right? And a occur to me that I have not sat down and gone through all of the Tome Celestial and battle Battletome Grand Strategies and Battle Tactics and actually try to get a coherent sense of where are we. Do we have too many of these that are too easy for too many armies or mm-hmm. is it mostly
1: mm-hmm.
2: a Daughters of Cain limited problem, right, that we have where specifically the Daughters of Cain Battle Tactics I think are almost universally considered out of whack in the fact that they've introduced ways to get bonus points for doing very easy things like dropping in a couple of heart renders a couple of units of kenari onto the battlefields actually i don't think you're getting a bonus point for that but it's like you can get bonus points in doing what you would do otherwise with your witch elves or sisters of slaughter right. just very dumb very dumb unhealthy stuff yeah but to what degree is that truly the exception to the rule or do we have a number of others that are gonna yeah enable other armies to achieve these you know too many battle tactics that are too easy so if that's the case then maybe we need to limit it to you can only do one battle tactic out of your battle tome or tome celestial you're limited to just one i don't know but i actually haven't done the legwork i was
0: really hoping that you were going to come on and say i know definitively now that the answer is blank
1: (laughs) (laughs) right Yeah, and I think, you know, we we just talked about the strategies a little bit. The tactics, you know, you were getting into that a little bit, are pretty much the same way. I mean, Mm. first, as an example, an eye for an eye. You complete this battle tactic if one or more friendly units were destroyed last turn, and you kill one or more enemy units this turn. At first, I read that, I'm like, oh, that's... But it's a matter of timing then, because you know you lost a unit, and you know when you're coming into your turn that you're going to be able to destroy something. Okay, that's very achievable. And if you go through each of these, again, there's more thought, I think, in these than there was in the previous version of tactics. You just have to think about when you want to do them. There's some that are really easy. You know, you get those two objectives. You can just do that like almost automatically at the beginning of a a game or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you just have to know the tactics and understand when it's optimal to... Call that one, you know, for mm-hmm. that turn you're playing. We always get into the discussion of battle tome tactics, battle tome strategies versus the ones in the GHB. I'm out of that because I'm never going to be a TO or never, you know. Okay, Brendan, I know it's a long time. <laughs> yeah, never a long time. It always arrives a lot always, sooner than we thought. Okay, it thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's very unlikely that I'm ever going to be a TO and I'm going to have to just rely on whoever that individual is who's organizing and putting the time in to make that decision. Whatever their decision is, whether I agree with it or not, I can choose not to go to the event. You know, I have a choice, too. (laughs) Absolutely. So it's not like you don't have a choice. Well, I really think it sucks that they're letting daughters have their things, you know, blah, blah. Okay, well, then don't go to the event. Well, but it's really one I like. Okay, then if you like it so much, then that's not going to be an issue. And by the way, you might never play a daughter's player during the event. Sure. So, you know, it's those kind of things where people kind of conflate stuff. And we always forget that we do have a choice in this game of where we go and when yeah, we no, go. No one is holding you hostage. No.
2: To... <laughs> it's been interesting because like, uh, tournaments are starting to happen with the new book and certainly pack, more packs are coming out with the new book. And a lot of tournaments I've seen are choosing to not use the Battle Tome and Tome Celestial specific race yes. tracks and battle yeah. tactics. And I mean, that's where I come down on it right now for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. More for first principle reasons at least in my mind uh, that's the story i'm telling myself where i just don't like these on a first principle basis it's an entire show vince and i have talked Vince, some and i we've talked a lot about it as well a lot of people have there's a lot more to be said about it you know various opinions on it strong opinions we don't have to try to solve it here
1: but it's certainly an interesting conversation well, then, what I would like to do at this point is let's move on to battle plans. And the way we're going to run this is, I think we stated before, each one of us is going to pick one that we really like. We're going to pick one that we don't like. You know, if we have dupes, I think we plan on having backups. I'll start us off here with one I like. I like won't back down. And okay. it is long table. I get that, but there's six objectives. I like that there are more objectives on the table. I always like those kind of battle plans. And... It says, if a player uses a rally command and the unit that receives the command is wholly within six inches of an objective that they control, when they roll a dice, they can return one slain model on a five-up or a six-up. Nice. If the unit is a Galatians veteran, they can also return one slain model on a four-up. I just... Love the fact that that is in there like, and I don't care that somebody else may have something different or something that benefits more or whatever. I just love that rule. And I think it's really cool that there's an extra incentive to control an objective. I mean, that's really a yeah. good benefit. I have a unit of 20 chain rests that are down to five and all of a sudden I'm sitting on it. They're Galatian veterans. Wow, I'm gonna roll 15 dice, you know? And it's just fun to think about that. Otherwise it's pretty standard. But that particular rule for me is just kind of fun. How about you guys?
0: I've quite liked Head-On Collision as a mission. Mm,
1: okay.
0: I've played it a few times. Gone is my most favoritist mission, Savage Gains and yeah. the iterations <laughs> of it. It was a perfect mission. It should be included in every General's Handbook as, mm-hmm. like, Mission 13. It's mm-hmm. perfect. It's the perfect teaching mission. Trying to make changes on it is folly. Anyways,
2: Head-On mission, Collision. Mission Zero.
0: Yeah, Mission Zero. <laughs> the, the truest mission. <laughs> so head-on collision is three objectives set across on an angle where you are deploying in quadrants with one objective in your territory one objective at the intersection of the quadrants and one objective in the middle of your opponent's quadrant you score one victory point for the one in your territory two for the one in the middle and four for your opponent you gain one victory point if you gain control of an objective this turn and there are any friendly galatian veteran units within six inches of that objective you get your two for your battle tactic uh, most notably though, is that in this battle objectives cannot be controlled in the first battle round. players do not gain control of objectives after setup is complete. <laughs> it creates a dilemma for a lot of armies to, on what they want to do. It makes scoring battle tactics potentially very difficult for the player going first. It makes it very difficult for potentially the player going second, you know because the proving grounds can be moved to the most disadvantaged objective on the mm-hmm. board for them. <laughs> It creates a lot of decision-making, which I'm quite
1: fond of. How about you, Tyler? Yeah.
2: Dan, real quickly, on your Won't Back Down, which, I don't know, might strike some folks as a surprising choice. I actually had that as one that I was concerned about initially Uh-oh. for the obvious reason, right, of a 4-plus rally. tend to see sure. that as a bit of a third rail in design where... I think 5-plus is good enough, uh, as a general rule. Yeah. 4-plus um, four, four can be very dangerous, I think, from a balanced standpoint. Sure. You know, particularly Daughters of Cain, right? Getting 4-plus Velas order, cool. I want to get back 8 of my 15 snake bows, or yeah. whatever, because I rolled a lot of 4-ups. But I actually played the mission a couple of times, and you said, you know, an incentive to hang out or control an objective. That's such a critical point. Maybe it should have been obvious, but it wasn't. I didn't really appreciate, well, you have to actually have your entire unit wholly within six mm-hmm. yep. of that objective, right? Well, that may not be where you want to have that unit. Yeah. So you got 30 Sentinels, one of the boogeymen's of AOS 3.0, but you may need to teleport them. You may need to move them somewhere else. They have to be wholly within six. So I found that to be a good, sufficient balancing mechanism for that mission Mm. okay good. combined with the layout of objectives on that mission Mm -hmm. and how we're going long ways right not the traditional north south we're going east and west yes yeah i love the layout it felt like a much better mission than i thought looking at it on paper anyway for what it's worth
1: right well thanks that's good good feedback right
2: like at a high level to try to do this quickly the where i am right now with these battle plans what it's worth is realmstone cash Turf War, and the Mighty and the Cunning. The Mighty and the Cunning is the one we referenced earlier, where you have all of these extra victory points you can get for killing Galatian veterans. In fact, you guys played it, I
1: believe. Yeah, We did did on
0: the Battle Report Channel du jour of Cubic Shenanigans, (laughs) the Dias
1: Cast. But we scored over 50 points, not to spoil, between the two of us. I mean, that's huge. It's just an insane number of points.
2: Yeah, to me, if there were one battle plan I feel pretty confident should not be played at a tournament, which maybe will be reasons that <laughs> people will play it, would be that battle plan. I like To yeah. me, that is the obvious problem. We've got a number of, we discussed incentives against veterans, disincentives to run veterans. I don't think we need the most powerful disincentive to no. run veterans in the form of this
1: battle Not plan. It's insane. Especially if your opponent has... Yeah very few veterans then you've essentially lost the game you really have it's done before it started
2: yeah maybe there's something i'm missing on it but that one seems pretty the other one is turf war but i haven't played turf war yet so need to actually get some games in you know in the past when we've had missions with two objectives duality of death hello they've tended to be an issue in my mind i don't know maybe there's some saving grace to that mission i'm not seeing it the finally realmstone cache i love the potential like the idea of it on paper it looks like the most interesting of the relocation orb types right that we've gotten over the years yeah mainly relocation orbs and its variations but i'm mostly concerned about the potential for alpha bunkering on realmstone cache Mm. where you know brendan's playing an alpha bunker army he takes first he layers he puts a big brick in the center whatever And I just don't have a way to actually get control of that middle objective. In the first two rounds, he really starts to outscore me early. And Mm. then he's able to hang on long enough to go back to his objective that falls on his side. And I'm not, you know, but at the same time, I could see in some games where you are able to get your opponent off of that middle objective in time while scoring your objective, and then hopefully outpacing them on battle tactics, or at least getting each battle tactic to where you can stay competitive. I'm curious, at a high level, what do you guys think about Realmstone Cash in particular? Brendan, do you like that one or not? Or
0: Oh, I'm so on the fence about it. I don't know why the rules design team continues to try to approach the design of this kind of mission, where mm. it's almost a blend between Star Strike, and Gift from the Heavens, and or... The much maligned and deservedly so
2: <laughs> relocation, orb. relocation
0: orb. I mind this the least of all of those kind of high variance objective missions. Yeah. Because the opportunity is largely fixed. The greatest distance between objectives is the rolling the five six where it ends up on that center line. So that's seven and a half inches from the board edge. Mm. that's a long way to go for some armies at that battle round three point to try and get it. The other positions are in the corners, so when you consider where you would have been for scoring the original objective, that's not too big of an ask. The most difficult one, obviously, will be trying to, you know, get through the opponent's line into that back objective. But one of the things that's more concerning is actually how little space you have
2: to deploy in this mission.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely.
2: That's probably, Yeah. yeah, the number one
1: issue. Yeah, Well, certainly, yeah. For some armies, it's going to be (laughs) nine near impossible based on the number of bodies they take. I'm always a little more sketchy about the randomness of something like this. I know it's a dice game. God knows it's a dice game. But when you build that into a mission, we've got enough randomness already in the game. We really do just, you know, just in the things we do every turn. And now you throw this in. To your point, Brendan, you know, where it moves so far away, for example that it essentially takes one player out of the game because you literally can't redeploy to that position. You can't move your strength or move the units that are going to be effective to that point to get that objective. It's just not possible. And when you do that and you take somebody out of the game based on a dice roll, it just feels like, You know, the whole issue of, am I being engaged in the game? Do I feel like I'm actually playing the game? You don't anymore. That's not a good experience. So, Uh Dan, to actually, you know, 20 minutes later, finally
2: answer your question, if that's cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) sure. We're going to listen to the whole thing anyway, Um, so. I want to
2: throw out one that is also probably controversial. And, again, i talked with Malik a little bit about this one. Battle Lines Drawn. So Battle Lines Drawn is... I think now officially my favorite map in terms of the four quadrants, and we're deploying in one of two quadrants, right? Sure. This was what we used for Game of Heroes. This was used for Total Conquest, if anyone remembers that back in the day, which Game of Heroes was initially based upon with the Warqueda project. The plug, got to get that in. Of course, God, I can't help myself. Jesus, that's like the third plug. All right. Uh, <laughs> no, keep it in. Battle lines drawn. Okay, so we are treating the quarters, so we're, di- you know, two by two grid. We're dividing the battlefield into quarters here, in these squares. Each quarter is counted as an objective. And we're doing our traditional hold one objective, get a victory point, hold two objectives, so on and so forth. Hold one, hold two, hold more. Battle tactic scoring, grand strategy scoring. Right. The twist is we are allowed to if we have ways to deploy units off board during mm-hmm. setup, we can do that. Yep. So you're right, Stormcast or whatnot. But when it comes to units that are deployed on the board during setup, they cannot be reset up in any shape or form. No teleporting, sorry, Nighthaunt,
1: you're not allowed to Yeah, I mean you know Yeah. No. Go ahead. Just just no. It's not like that just affects one or two armies in the game. Effectively, that effect, I would say, just anecdotally, that affects half the armies in the game. That's me as a, a argument in its favor, actually, Dan, but I keep yeah. going. Well, and my point would be is that you, you know, Brendan, you always talk about paying for stuff in, in certain units and stuff. You're paying for the ability in whatever army it is, Stormcast, Night Hunt, whatever, you're paying for the ability to be able to teleport. And move your things or you have a artifact that allows you to do that or you have something on your war scroll that allows you to do that you're paying for that and all of a sudden this thing is just saying no you paid for that but you don't get it and I don't like that when you take something like that out, because it really puts a lot of armies on the back foot. It takes away the advantage they have against other certain types of armies. That That is the only advantage they really have, which is mobility in a lot of cases, and mobility and movement are very important in this game.
2: I definitely hear that. I think that maybe, I don't know if that's a more common view, but yeah, Dan, I mean, there are definitely a lot of folks in your camp and I get it. And I think this is about a plan That in my mind, if you're going to include it, it's an argument in favor of at least sharing some of your battle plans in advance with your attendees. Mm -hmm. So that, right, they're not completely cut out because this battle plan certainly can have an impact on your list building. You said that, yeah, it does affect a number of armies and a while back... I literally went through all, I think we're roughly at 28 factions. You know, when you count Legion of the First Prince, you break out Orc War Clans into its actual factions. So we're at around 28, and it was a healthy majority of those 28 that have some means of doing teleporting. Mm -hmm. The equivalent of teleporting, right? Deep striking, teleporting, ambushing uh, setups.
1: Sure.
2: So... That means we're not really talking, at least in my mind, about really hurting a small group of armies in particular with this battle plan. No. We're going to affect a lot of armies with this battle plan, mm. which I think is an argument you know, more in its favor of considering it.
1: So you're yeah. taking it from that perspective that if all armies are affected, then it ends up being a wash, It's a bit of a wash, is what I'm getting at. And I can understand that.
2: Now, yeah, there's going to be some armies that it's less of a wash than others. Sylvanath, obviously, are an army that's oriented around uh, teleporting. But there are more ways than ever to offset that, particularly with the Warsinger command rate, where your general wholly within 12 bubble, a plus three to move which is just incredible, you know, now 8-inch move Kurnoth Hunters, or 15-inch move these new bugs, or maybe even more, I think one of them has a 14-inch move base, so yeah, I've played this mission three times now, with Stormcast twice and Nurgle once, and my Nurgle list isn't Blightlord Spam, so it's a Fairly, you know, appropriately slow Nurgle army. And then Stormcast, Signs of the Storm, where, yeah, I'm getting the benefit of the deep striking, to pulling stuff off board. I do need to try this with Stormkeep. I think that would be especially interesting, right, where Stormkeep isn't putting anything off the board unless you take the Celestin Prime or something to really get the feel for it. But I thought it was great. I love how it changes, in fundamental ways, the feeling of playing an AOS game because nobody is teleporting. Lumineth are not teleporting 30 signals around the board, that was nice to experience yesterday,
1: yeah,
2: sure. <laughs> they actually had a legitimate threat range, somewhat, like you could still speed up hitch them, still give them an extra 6 inches from Teclas, but they weren't able to just teleport everywhere, yeah, it, like, I just have found the games fascinating you know also in terms of expert conquerors i think it's a clear incentive to run expert conquerors where now you in some ways you're like playing keep away it's measured per model wholly within a table quarter to be allocated in terms of contesting you know that so if i've got a unit of 10 liberators that are in expert conquerors you can have five wholly within the right quadrant five Poli within the bottom right, upper right, five holy within the bottom right. Now, of course, now we're not able, a unit is only able to, to help control one objective at a time, which is a, an improvement. But anyway, point being that you can have greater distance from your opponent than you would otherwise, because the entire quadrant is an objective, right? Right. And you're just trying to get more models into that quadrant. Right. So I find that fascinating. We've got objectives that are basically equivalent of at the, you know, ends of the battlefield i'm waxing uh, long hair as always with this but i really hope that more people give it a chance and not feel like because of this first principle reason it's a crap mission i really think it's going to be a net positive
1: fair enough here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me what I wanna do then is just close out, cause we still got a lot to talk about here. One I do not like, and it's Lurker's below. I don't like it, mm. not because it's long table. I don't like it because, especially with the Conqueror's Momentum rule where you can't control the next one unless you control the one before. I don't like the fact that, at least I haven't played it, but I don't like it that it's just scrum in the middle that's the way it feels. It doesn't feel like I'm going to be able to flank out to the sides. Or I'm going to be able to do anything interesting tactics wise. I'm just going to pour everything, you know, grab the one on my border of my territory. Then I'm going to pile everything and grab the next one. And then the other guy's going to pile everything in the middle to grab that one. Cause he needs that to grab mine. Doesn't seem like there's much interest other than throw stuff in the middle and see who ends up having more stuff. That's my thought. And what do you guys think about that one?
0: I actually quite like it, because I don't mind the You Win Now missions. I don't Mm -hmm. mind those at all. I do like that they have applied a different principles, so you can't just gotcha your opponent. Your opponent knows, you know, going into it, when this can happen. I'm quite a fan of that. Okay,
2: fair. Now, with the core rules... If, Dan, you have 10 chain rests deployed onto an objective yes. before the start of the game, right?
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: can take control of that objective because of those chain rests that are on it. Right. Now, this battle plan says deadly denizens. Objectives cannot be controlled in the first battle round. Correct. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward to me yes. to mean that that's removing right, that rule, or we That means those chain rasps are not taking control of that objective. And I
1: agree with that. I think that's exactly what it's
2: doing. Just to make sure we're all on the same page. Brendan, does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, it's basically saying the earliest you can win this is battle round four. Right.
2: Okay. And that's a great way to put it because that's how I read it. And I know there's been some other ways of reading it in the community. and uh, Yeah, but I, I think those other ways are off. That's exactly right. It does appear to be saying that. Which means, uh, when you combine it with Conqueror's Momentum, this battle must control the objective on the border of your territory before you can contest the objective at the center of the battlefield. In addition, you must control the objective at the center of the battlefield before you can contest the objective on the border of your opponent's territory. right? Right. In the vast majority of games, it's going to be very difficult to get a major victory in this mission. Unless you have an army capable of, say, wiping out your opponents, you know, really quite early. And Mm -hmm. now, again, that's part of my bias in not running armies that do that. I tend to run these five round, you know, full game armies that often need to come back late. But on that point, I like it as a tournament mission, right? Because it can be useful to have a tournament mission that separates the fields we often did this with Knife to the Heart sure. back in the day. That, that was usually, or a little bit with uh, Blood and Glory, with the original 2016 GHB. So I feel like, yeah, if there were going to be a mission where TOs would look to have one as a potential separator of the field, where you'll get a lot of minor victories that
1: come down to battle tactics or grind strategies, this will be the mission. So, before we go into Endless Spells, we want to circle back real quick, listeners, because we did not get a chance to have a brief discussion, at least, on the, the battle tactics. So, guys, why don't we talk about a couple that we think are good or not good, or make some comments on the battle tactics. Yeah, brief discussion. That's funny, Dan. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. King um, of
2: wishful thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I really like Eye for an Eye. Haven't played the game, yep. it's really great, and I think I mentioned it before, but it's great because there's so much timing involved, and it gives you so much many choices i really like the fact because when you first look at it you're like oh god no no really you have a good chance Mm -hmm. of doing that one the other one that i kind of like i don't know why but it's the desecrate the lands which is kind of cool and that was another pretty easy one to grab if you you have the means to do it so what do you guys think about these
0: the best piece of advice i can offer players is play games with the express understanding of trying to learn When, how, and where to achieve your battle tactics. They are fundamentally different in terms of how you complete them, when you are looking to complete them, and just what you need to be successful in getting them. It definitely took me more games than I'm used to trying to get my arms around how to do it effectively, but once we got there, it, it wasn't so bad. All of them are viable, as long as you have Galatian veterans, some of them are Not so much the case. There are some, as in previous ones, that are, as you look at, borderline impossible. You're picking an enemy Galatian veteran unit that has any models on the Proving Ground and then getting it off of it. But Mm -hmm. if your opponent is maybe using the Proving Grounds correctly, they might not even be near it.
2: I love these battle tactics. It's vastly better world we're living in now than where we were previously, last season. I definitely echo what Brennan said. If you're wanting to optimize your ability to win games, I mean, it's a kind of obvious statement, but you really, maybe even more so now, but you really need to build your list and get reps in with the you know, developing understanding of kind of an, or a rough order in which you're wanting to achieve your battle tactics kind of building that into part of your game plan right, uh, you know, in terms of round by round, like in terms of early plays, I think for a lot of lists, they're going to be looking at desecrate the land or against the odds against the odds is basically the new hold hands and run, right, the new approach to advance yeah, <laughs> most players will do that one but that's a fa- because most players will do that one, that's often a fantastic one to try to wait on. Like last game yesterday against uh, Stormcast Off, I sat on it and was able to do it round 5. But Descrate the land, but, you know, there's some counterplay in what you can do as a player in terms of trying to prevent your opponent from doing it, knowing that that's an early one and you've got, you know, maybe only two train features that are partially holy within your territory. That might mean you're placing some of your units in a way to zone out those terrain features. So I really like these battle tactics. I think they're generally going to be more viable than they meet the eye, maybe, on initial reads, but they're certainly harder. I think we're in a better spot. In terms of one in particular, I still like head-to-head, pick an enemy Glacian veterans even on the battlefield. This battle tactics, gets destroyed this turn by an attack made by a Glacian veteran unit or an ability of a friendly Glacian veteran unit. You know, there you go. There's a clear incentive to run some veterans, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's especially a clear incentive to run some shooting veterans, long strikes, sentinels, judicators, snake bows, whatever the case might be. Because sure. if you can point click delete, that's a lot easier than having to get into combat. But yeah, I really like that as an incentive for putting some veterans in your list. Yeah, much better place to be in. All right, I really feel it's going to impact list building in terms of have a probably a better experience of playing the game in terms of both. Having a game plan for achieving some battle tactics and maybe even an order, again, that you have in mind. And then trying to prevent your opponent from
1: achieving theirs. It's really cool. All right. Let's move on then to Endless Spells. And again, as I said before, what we're going to do is we'll go through them all. But there are several, I think, that are kind of the same. And so we're just going to briefly talk about those and then move on. So let's just go in order. How about Horror Guest? Any big changes? Anything you see that's significant here?
0: Horror Guest, you are going to see folks, you know, including... There's not really too, too, too much different. Units within 12 inches of this endless spell cannot receive commands in the battle shock phase. Excellent. In addition, if a unit fails a Battleshock test within 12 inches, add D3 to the number of models that flee. Great. Useful. Really good pairing, particularly with armies that want to do some damage at range mm-hmm. and want to force some checks at a distance.
1: Okay, the Pendulum. What do you guys think? Mm, no, I don't think it's going to see much play. Okay. That says everything we need to say. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine.
0: The most concise point of the day. A short absolutely. narrative. That's
1: good. That's all good. Now, COGS is, wow. Yeah. Big change
0: to COGS. Huge change uh, still to Still very valuable.
1: Yes, absolutely you decide again if it's increasing or decreasing flow of time. If it's the in flow of time, you can reroll charge rolls for friendly units only within 12, but the big change here is if it's decreasing time, you can reroll casting rolls for friendly wizards that are wholly within 12 inches of the spell. If a player has any friendly ro- wizards within six inches of the spell at the start of the hero phase, they can change whether the end of the spell is increasing or decreasing. The fact that you're giving all your wizards within 12, wholly within 12, a reroll is, is pretty darn good. Oh, man. Seems a little excessive
2: for some armies. Yep. I mean, we essentially had this in the first version of Chronomatic Cogs with 3.0, and it mm-hmm. got nerfed for a good reason, because yep. it was just too good for Zinch, Lumineth, Seraphon, yep. and so on.
0: As a person who played against it with uh, who someone who had a Zinch army yesterday, yeah,
2: pretty good. <laughs> 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 yeah. This is the first clear example of... I don't know what they're thinking, you know, but I mentioned six hours ago that they have a hard time balancing Endless Spells, and this one's yeah. out of balance. Yep. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get there. Yeah. <laughs> then we have Emerald Life Swarm. The prior version, whenever you set it up, you could do a rare thing, which is that you could immediately benefit from it, in addition to benefiting from it at the end of the Hero Phase. So, of course, normally... The effects happen only at the end of the hero phase. Now they have changed it to where you are just able to tap
1: it once, like normal. And let's move on to Geminids then.
0: It was still good then, it's still good now. Basically what happens is when you, you move it across on a 2-up, that unit suffers a mortal wound. In addition, if the mortal wound not negated, you can't issue or receive commands until the start of the next combat phase. It means that... <clears throat> In your turn, your opponent cannot redeploy from you. In your opponent's turn, they can't use all-out attack. In your turn, they can't use all-out defense in the shooting phase. They would be unable of using any charge phase command abilities, so no re-rolls, uh, things of that nature. It's quite powerful in a vacuum. It's worth considering. It's one that you think would be worth having. Casting value of a 6 makes it very reasonable. The distances it travels or you set up are a little bit shorter, maybe, than what you're used to, but it's not unmanageable.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah, especially melee armies, they both need to turn off redeploy just so you don't have to have that gut check moment. Are they going to roll a six on redeploy and just totally screw you? I also think this endless spell is a great example of generally where you would want most endless spells, right? Where it's pointed appropriately, it's got clear benefit, it's not going to be on all lists, it's going to be in particular lists that are leaning into it. It's good, it's solid, but it's not even remotely out of bounds, unlike some of these others. Let's move on to Maelstrom. Yeah, this one they have never really been able to figure out. At one point in the game, this endless spell was ten points, and nobody took it. it Such kind of a great
1: model. At least I could say that about it. So yeah, <laughs> this thing needs a complete top to bottom redesign. Okay, how about Palisades then?
0: Quite a different change. Units within 6 inches of the spell cannot make shooting attacks. Add 3 inches to the range of this ability at the start of each battle round after the turn it was summoned. Uh, casting value of a 5, so very easy to get rid of, but a setup range of 8 inches. But if you have the ability to throw a spell through something else, Sylvaneth, you can use that to block out maybe your most annoying kind of opponent, and that is you know the long-range-ignores-all-of-your-stuff kind of shooting.
2: Yeah, it's another one that's... <clears throat> Kind of feels where it should be, right? Yep.
1: Interesting, but not an obvious take. Okay, we're back to the new and improved Purple Sun now. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs)
0: Purple Sun has caused uh, quite a bit of discussion in the community, if for no reason other than it is incredibly good. It is casting value of an 8, setup range of 8 inches. It is predatory. It moves 8 inches and can fly. You subtract one from save rolls for attacks made that target units within six inches of this endless spell. In addition, you roll a dice for each unit within three inches of this endless spell after this endless spell is moved. On a one, one model from this unit dies. If you happen to be a one model unit, for instance, like, uh, I don't know, a monster or a hero (laughs) of lots and lots of points that does not have an insta-kill prevention rule, then you die. You're gone. It's over. The Purple Sun, much less expensive. Than a 400, 500 point model. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, it happened yesterday at our one day or <laughs> <laughs> a Nighthawk player. It was the main, really the reason that he got back in the game. Yeah, Purple Sun took out Krondis, a 600 point model. Let's just give a hand of dust to everybody. That sounds like a great idea. Great rules right. design. Awesome. Oh, it's absurd. Ahead. Boy, I'm getting salty here talking about Purple Sun. It's We're going to get out. so many listeners now. This is <laughs> all coming out. Keep going to be great. great. <laughs> 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 I appreciate, you know, how much we lean into having fun in, on Twitter and everything and just act like this is the best thing ever, Purple Sun. And, you know, we make fun of people who complain about it like I'm doing here and, you know, us serious types. We need to chill. It's all good, man. How does this happen? We're seven <laughs> years into this
1: freaking game. And they're you know, still doing crap like this. No, it, come on, Tyler. This is like a vestigial organ. You know, it just Jeez. never really goes away. <laughs> this is the legacy of the first edition of Age of Sigmar, where uh, you had all I the stupid it. rules, right? Got to find a way to get it back.
2: Okay, that's, that's what right. this is. I'm on board. You've sold me.
1: Okay, let's move on to Quicksilver Swords. It's okay. I hate it. Uh, you Sucks. hate it. Okay. Why? It's way too Wow. Hard. Why do you hate it?
2: It's ridiculous. I'm just gonna keep interrupting you, Dan. The real me is coming out. This is great. This is and this I nice love to see nonsense. this.
1: I love to see Tyler this. Tyler Unchained finally. This is great. This is great. Ridiculous. And now Brendan, how much is this stupid thing? Twenty Brendan, points? Brendan, when you think about it, like he's gonna be on the show twice a year now. So we're gonna to have to oh, deal with this goodness. twice a year.
2: I hadn't considered this. What are we paying? Sixty for this thing?
1: It's pretty cheap. Yeah, I had one. I think it's about 60. I think it's about right. Yeah, just all right.
2: Yeah, I got to enjoy Luminath, which absolutely needed to be able to run Quicksilver Swords and Ravinex Snatching Jaws plus Spell Portal with Techless, 30 Sentinels, all the BS that they've been doing oh for a year now. God. They really needed these two endless spells, right? They just needed a little <laughs> bit extra. Just a little. <laughs> I'm still hanging out in the
1: salt mines from yesterday. Yeah, feeling
0: feeling a little warm, huh?
1: A little warm. (laughs) So now that we know how he really feels, because he told us. Like, uh, joking aside, what do you actually think about this? I think it's reasonable. You know, you're going to get three or four mortals out of this on average. I know there will be argument about this or Terminexis, but what do I get out of Terminexus? I get D3, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I've got a higher spike on this. Yes. You know, when you think about that. Now, I can't yeah. heal stuff, but I do have a higher spike. And that's when you're spending points. Don't you want to do the most mortal wounds you can? I would take it over Terminexus now just because of the spike. I mean, yeah, if yep. you get really crazy, you could get six or seven mortals. You know, you can only get three at most off of Terminexus. You know, why not? I guess is my thought about that. Yeah, totally.
2: Joking aside, I think this one is still bounds. It can yeah. be dispelled. Yeah. It's on a right, six. It's right. not on an eight, like the stupid purple sun, where yeah. you've got to roll a hot nine. Nine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the t- thing off the board seems reasonable. So you, you can get it off the board. It's fair if we're going to be in a meadow where you need to run wizards or auto and buy. Cool. Run, you know, that uh, build the list appropriately if you're wanting to win games. Yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. just, that's how it works. Well, so mm-hmm. yeah, I get all that. I think it's probably in bounds. I'm just a little salty
1: from this. It's good. Gnashing Jaws, you just talked about having experienced that.
2: Roll 15 on three dice. Yeah,
1: that's, and that's great. And
2: play against Foot, Slog, and Stormcast. Just enjoy all the mortal wounds that your heart desires. 11 mortal wounds against Protectors. That's great. Uh, wipe out a unit of 400-point Judicators with a 60-point Endless Spell. Perfect. Do a little shooting on top from a double-tap Astilodon. Just quickly remove 400 points of your opponent's army. It's easy. Yeah. It's a good
1: time. All right. Okay. I'm done. All right. Wow, Brendan. Like i don't know i
0: have no comments I, yeah
1: i I,
2: have, I mean i'm gonna let that sit where it is
1: i have the power of editing but i don't know
2: i'm a little I might, worried i need to that one out. Yeah. yeah that one might have to go
1: no it's fine <laughs> okay <laughs> how about shackles gentlemen dude no change yeah it's fine yeah it is shackles
2: it is. it's probably one like do you guys think maybe needs a little bit of love how much is shackles right now? i don't have this stuff in front of me is it 40 points still it's not much. It used to be right around 40. I know okay. that. I believe what we're talking. I think it's right around that. Obviously, it's not seeing much play nowadays.
0: You need to believe it has excellent pairing in Soul white Gravelords, Fearcoast yep. with uh, Zombies. I think that's a deeply overlooked combination of things, mm. because...
1: Uh, yep. Gravetide. What do you guys think about this thing?
0: Weather well, spell you never saw before, and no yeah. one
1: yeah yeah you probably because we get. were not
2: exactly hanging out in a horde meta of course with that first season, and this one you know does have some potential play into running over I mean like the ideal is that you would try to run this over multiple enemy units. The problem is the base size of it right and That's I just don't know that you're actually going to be able to land it to where you could run over multiple units mm-hmm. I don't know I, I suspect it would act I've never tried this. And 3.0, but I suspect it would actually be tricky to play, okay. just in terms of how it would actually function. Brendan, do you have any games with Grave Tide?
0: Yeah. I think the last time I saw Grave Tide was in 2nd edition, playing against a Zeech endless spell spam list.
1: Okay. I
2: think maybe if this were a 5-up, and it could impact just one unit, then you would see it a little bit more.
1: Right, Burning Head. Yeah, okay, it's a grenade. The same. G- gives you D3, whatever. I'm not going to take this, but some people do. I mean, we've seen them around. I took them once, and I found no value, so...
2: Yeah, I love it as a throw-in, right? If you've got enough spell cast, it's, you know, D3 Mortal Wounds for 20 points is meaningful. I think it's on a 2-up that triggers the Mortal Wounds. I think yep. You have to roll a 2-up with it. Yeah, Nurgle loves this, right? With Billowab's Miasma Pestilence spell, every time a unit takes damage in a phase, at the end of that phase... Uh, damage a lot, mortal wounds. and wounds at the end of that phase. Roll the dice. On a two up, they take an additional d3 mortal wounds. So you wow. could get some, yeah, get some damage done 2D3. with this in the hero phase. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It can also, I think, give off disease points. The burning head. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's situational, but I can but,
1: uh, I think it's solid. Okay. A spell portal now.
2: Yeah, they cleaned up some rule, some jank that you could do with spell portal. To be honest, guys, I never really looked into it because it just seemed dumb to me. And one of those, yeah, lore hammer situations I don't, do you guys know offhand what that was
0: i think it had to do with like endless spells and things like that but you can still do the dumb thing of setting the of casting it with one person setting it up 18 inches one direction and 18 right. inches the other direction thank
1: you brendan i <laughs> I, <laughs> I can tell you because he guided me on that in a practice game i'm like that can't be legal he's like oh no and so the next it's event it's extremely we went, legal watch this <laughs> the next uh, event i went to tyler i used it like three or four times like that people were like what what just happened? Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was great. Soul Screen Bridge.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any changes.
1: Okay. But I can't remember. All right.
0: Still very effective.
1: Yeah, quite good. Shards of Alangar.
0: The same. Yeah, so they still serve a very situational purpose, and in very situational and specific lists, they are quite good. Cutting your opponent's movement down, and I think pairing it with shackles can be really frustrating for some armies. Mm-hmm. Ben Laoshan.
1: Yes, my man right there. The right. other
0: big winner out of Oh my us. God,
1: yes. This is so cool. So I really like what this guy does. I mean, it's only heroes and it's only wizards. You can pick them and if the wizard's wholly within three of this thing, remove it from the battlefield. This thing moves 18 inches. Then you can put your wizard down wholly within three inches of it again after it's moved. You're projecting this... Depending on where you have it, your wizard can move like halfway across the board in just one turn with this. You take a mortal wound, but what the heck. I just think it's wonderful to give certain heroes some mobility that they need in terms of their effectiveness. Because a lot of the things we've seen now, you have to be pretty close in to get your spells off. A lot of the spells have gone down in terms of their range. It's 12 inches or holy within 12, whatever it is. Your wizards have to get stuck in. And this is a great way for somebody who is in the backfield situationally, you can move them up with Lawshan and then it, they do their thing and you can always move them back again if you want to. Yeah. So I think that's a really effective use of this guy. What are you guys thinking?
2: I'm on the fence with it in terms, I mean, as usual, trying to think about these things, for better or worse, whether Like, I feel, you know, the the phrase, is it inbounds or not? Is it sufficiently reasonable? It's obviously really good. You can take an Arcane Tome, right, on a hero to where you've, with an Arcane Tome, you've really expanded your pool of options that can benefit from this. Is that a good thing? I'm not sure... I don't know, honestly, how I feel about this. I haven't played okay. against it, haven't tried it out yet. I mean, it could spend 30 minutes rattling off all kinds of <laughs> combos and, you sure. know, War Scrolls that you can use it with, like Drychen and Sylvaneth has been on my mind recently. She absolutely loves this with the terror that, like, she's gotten a lot better, uh, in my opinion, with the new Sylvaneth Battle Tome. So she could really benefit from it. But, yeah, Melvin, do you have any more specific thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, the right way to put this, it provides some very interesting play of turning your combat heroes into wizards and providing an effective delivery system, especially if they're on the slower end. Mm -hmm. We're quickly finding out some of the models that have base sizes that are maybe too small for what they should be. But, you know, hey, you got to be holy than three inches. Oh, look, Thankwool fits on that kind of area and you can deliver him with his multi-flamer silliness and melt away your opponent in one quick go of it so it's interesting it's a nice change more inbounds than what it was originally back when it originally came out we were trying to see how many models we could fit into that (laughs) surface area to rapidly deliver to your opponents and make them sad it's much better in terms of like usability than where it was this is maybe the best place that it's landed so far.
2: I think we'll you're right. We'll see what that yeah. actually ends up though. Yeah, there, certainly the original version, just from a functional standpoint, was not great. And then the 3.0 version, nobody took it, and for good reason. And now, no, I think you're right, Brendan. And then we able to see in terms of is it too cheap, for example? Does it need to go up in points because of some of the pieces? which also, you know, then has the issues because, as always, you know, you have something that can really views or benefit from something, it can run the party from everybody else. So I don't know. It's a tricky one to try to figure out.
1: All right. So that's the end of the spells, gents. Are there any other significant changes that you think we need to talk about? Or are we pretty much, in terms of the general rule set, pretty much solid there in terms of what we have in this new book?
0: Yeah. In terms of what's physically contained in the purchase product that is the General's Handbook, Yeah, I think that that's about it there haven't been necessarily a lot of impactful FAQs that were out day 1 mm-hmm. around this sure. there was a set of FAQs that came out on i guess monday or whatever it was where not a lot of things got clarified that we were really hoping for mm-hmm. and again the most in my mind the most impactful thing that they changed was You know, the deciphering of order of operations of changes to profiles and and what that means. And I'm sure all of your opponents will be very reasonable when having that discussion and it will be amicably adjudicated
1: all the time. Okay, All right. Tyler, any final thoughts or any thoughts on the rules set overall and the FAQs and stuff? Anything that you think is significant? At a
2: high level, just one more thought on the General's Handbook 2022, the season here. In the first dozen games, I've enjoyed how it feels on average like there are a combination of these elements have created uh, longer games. That is, games that go deeper than mm. I was accustomed mm-hmm. to often with the prior season. that What I mean by deeper, of course, is you've got more like four or five round games, right? Yes. That's just a dozen games so far. So we'll we'll see, and I'm playing a list that is designed to function in that way. But I certainly have felt kind of anecdotally that, yeah, I've been enjoying these battle plans where, yeah, they're structured, like Prize of Galette. A number of them are structured for longer games. And the battle tactics have been a part of that as well in terms of kind of planning things out. And I'm liking it on the whole. There are just a couple of issues, especially potentially bounty hunters, that strike me as potential problem points.
1: All right. Then any final thoughts that you have on the book that we haven't talked about already? Any you know closing comments, anything you want to talk about, Brendan?
0: No, I think all that's left to really talk about is points.
1: Okay. Tyler, anything you want to close no, man, out with other than points? No, probably said more than enough. Okay. <laughs> then let's move on to points, and let's talk about significant point changes or whatever you feel is impactful. Slaanesh mortals. Absolutely. Yeah. So
2: four in particular, they... Reduce Sigvalds points twice, actually, when all of said and done. I think he was before this new season at 260. He's now 205. Wow. It's absolute bargain. That's a yeah. huge change. It certainly feels like an absolute bargain at Slanesh, right, because of the anchoring that we've been dealing with that's been out of whack for so long. If you look at, say, the Stormcast Battle Tome, I'm you know, biased to think about where I look at a number of our heroes in that point price range. And it feels he doesn't feel that out of whack to me. But I mean that's just one battle tome, So I don't know. And then we've got just to finish out and get your guys' thoughts. Bliss Barb Archers are now 140. I think they used to be 180. Wow. And then Cymboresh Twin Souls and the Myrmadesh Painbringers, they both dropped the points. The twin souls are 130. They used to be a lot higher than that. 160, maybe 180. I think maybe 180. The Painbringers are now 120. So yeah,
1: all four of those got significant point drops. So Brendan, you gotta be happy with that slash player.
0: Uh, I am. There are some things that you can solve via volume, right? The things that you can do, like being able to put more models on the board is very important. This is an army that I think benefits from being able to pick and choose Galatian veterans. Being able to fight in two ranks with the Painbringers and the Twin Souls. Well, the Twin Souls already could, but the Painbringers, especially, if you make them Galatian veterans, are excellent. They're very defensive. Putting things in bounty hunters like the slick Blade seekers is really solid. Wow. You know, they're wow. already a unit that wants to be doing, you know, kind of damage at the edge and into screens, which is likely where you're going to be fighting them anyways. So it might not be great in that instances for generating the pain points, but at least for trying to peel back the onion and getting to the core of what your army's trying to do.
2: Yeah, Dan, I was looking at, just for fun, uh, so a friend of mine, he has a massive Sylvanath collection, or sorry, Sylvanath, kind of Sylvanath on the brain, we just did the show. Slaanesh, yeah, sorry, uh, Wednesday show was, was trees, all about trees. Slanesh, uh yeah, put together, just out of curiosity, like, what could you get in a mortals-oriented Slaanesh list, which, okay. you know, from a model standpoint is the dream. I mean, they, these are such beautiful models, but we just haven't seen Mortal Slynesh list for the most part. So Sigval, Lord of Pain, Shardspeak of Slynesh, 3x11 Blisfarve Archers, uh, Jaws, Burning Heads, a 2 units of Painbringer. Oh, it's basically 20 Painbringers and however you want to do it, right? Jeez. 2x5, 1x10, 2x10, and then finally a unit of Twin Souls. Or actually two more pieces in this list, right? It's a lot in this list. A unit of 10 Twin Souls and then to close it out. I don't know if this is the best choice, but 3 Varengarde. Just like, uh, that's another hammer, I don't know if that's necessarily the best choice but so that list has 20 pain bringers 10 twin souls three vanguard three by eleven bliss archers and then three heroes including sigvald you've got great synergy with the lord of pain he allows you to i believe we roll hits shards speak of slash you're potentially going to get plus one of wound rolls if you're the nine inches on a three up against an enemy unit sigvald's doing his thing three by eleven bliss archers are putting out a good number of shots now at 140 points, I think they're pretty reasonably priced. And yeah, as Brendan just said, like those painbringers can be pretty stout with a plus one save, maybe Mystic Shield, All the Defense, etc. Expert Conquerors, great choice. I feel like that to me feels like a pretty classic little bit of a combined arms competitive Slanesh sure. list with I the know, summoning you can that. do on
1: top of it. Right. That's a huge number of models compared to what I've seen before. Great. I'm glad for them. If anybody wonderful.
2: really wants to dive in deep on Slanesh, uh, Facehammer's been doing some great shows. With Byron and Russ, because Byron has been playing them competitively, trying to make them work for some time, and yeah, they've been putting a lot of different thoughts together and list
1: based okay. on these new point values. Anything else, gents? I think we're pretty much wrapped up here on uh, GHB 2022-23.
2: Yeah, there's some little things like, you know, the Necropolis Stalkers and Mortison. They or, sorry. If the if the general is Mortison keywords and OCR Bone Reapers, your Necropolis Stalkers can become battleline. Yep. As well as your Mortis Guard. So I think that's awesome. You know, previously they just had two battle line options, Mortec Guard and what are they called? Death Riders? Yeah. So yep. Murder Ponies. Yep. Murder Ponies. Yeah. yeah. Gut Ripper's got a change where... or uh, kind of gotta my mind here. The Cruel Boys uh, got a change where for each Gut Ripper's unit, including your army, you can take one Hopkrat Slita's unit as battle line, which is great. Again, that fixes... The battle line issue, or at least improves the battle line situation with crow Boys. So you've got, kind of got a more interesting reason to run, run Hobgroves. Yeah, there's a number of little things like that, Dan. You
1: know, when you talk about all that and you look at overall what's going on and you look at each book, how many choices you have for battle line as, you know, or yep. a battle line if is what I mean. You never, a lot of times, I shouldn't say never because, yeah, for reasons. But mm. you rarely looked at those things and said, oh, yeah, I can make a battle line, but what's the point? Now you're like, whoa, I can make the battle line. That could really make a difference now. And I think it's really cool that we're considering so many more units than we ever would have before as battle line. I think that's really neat that we've opened up the game and opened up the battle tomes to more possibilities that way. I'm really excited about that for people.
2: Yeah, I'm feeling like – I don't know about you guys, but that we – the current state of the facts and I don't know. It just almost seems like there needs to be a little more organized community effort to put together – all right. I don't know, maybe some TOs put their heads together. Like, all right, here's the open questions that we really need to get answered from a tournament perspective. It seems like there's mm-hmm. a number of those. I don't know. Brendan, are you feeling this?
0: There are yeah. definitely some things that we need to like as a community talk about the application of consistent rulings, because it, it's unfortunately very clear that we're not going to be getting that help from games workshop in a timely manner yeah. on how some of this stuff is expressed. And that's very frustrating.
1: Yeah. Thank you gents for your thoughts and your Wisdom there, sharing that with everybody. And that's it for this portion, for this episode of GHB. We will be back with our next episode in the winter of (laughs) (laughs) 2022-23. And with that, we are going to move on to Scriptorium. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's scriptorium time, and in terms of new releases, we really don't have a whole lot. There are rumors out there. We've seen something about a Hellbrick book, which is fine at some time in the unknown future. But as far as stuff that right away is coming out, we've got two books that have been converted and are available now in audiobooks. We have Farsight, Emperor of Lies. If you're into Tau Commander Farsight, I think he's a really cool character in that he is kind of the rebel Tau, if there is such a thing. So his story is pretty neat. And then Killing Ground, which is the fourth Uriel Ventress book by Graham McNeil, is now out on audiobooks, which is also very cool. So, those two things are new releases. Gentlemen, Tyler, start with you. Reads, listens, watches, those kind of things.
2: Yeah, let's see. Watches more readily comes to mind. I just finished The Bear on FX. Oh. So, it's a Hulu FX collaboration. You can find it on Hulu. An incredible show. Like, Probably my favorite show of the year so far. So try to give a short version. It's a guy whose brother died. So, yeah, his brother died. His brother ran this place called The Original Beef of Chicagoland. And so it's set in Chicago. It's kind of a homage to Chicago. It's the first season so far. And his brother died, and his brother gave him this restaurant. It's been in the family for a long time. And this guy became a pretty famous chef like one of the best up and coming chefs so a young guy. And it's just about kind of his, you know the experience of these different people in a kitchen. It's frenetic, amazing characters, just incredible energy to the show, great storytelling. Episode 7 is brilliant. It's a one-shot 20-minute episode and you know sometimes that's kind of right people do the one-shot as a bit of a trick. It doesn't necessarily lend itself to the storytelling, but it was so well built into the storytelling of that episode. And the show itself, I cannot recommend The Bear. And I think it's amazing.
1: Coolio. Brendan, how about you?
0: Very boring. I haven't really picked up anything new. That's unfortunate for the purposes of there's anything anyone wants to listen to. Go back and listen to all of my other recommendations of things (laughs) that I'm actively engaged in all the time. It's too many things.
1: That's fair. Oh, it's on to me already. Okay, so I put my Slammers book number two on whole because I'm rereading Scars, inspired obviously by my interest in White Scars and Heresy. So I am about a third of the way through. Just excellent. And all the reminders about what's going on in the heresy. Like <laughs> Horace is just such a genius, man, when it comes to manipulation. Like he's got half the loyalist Marines believing that Russ is the bad guy. And then he's got the other half believing that Magnus is the bad guy. And it's just It's just back and forth, and the the Alpha Legion is attacking the White Scars because they think they're traitors, and it's just like, what is going on? Like, nobody knows what's happening, and it's just hilarious. Mm -hmm. As you're reading through it going, man, nobody has any clue of who's doing what. And these are supposed to be Space Marines and Primarchs, you know, and Horus Mm -hmm. is just the master of chaos, truly, the warp notwithstanding, I have continued listening to Sabbath War. It's been an excellent collection of... Astro stories, guard stories, whatever you want to call them. And a lot of it's very much related to what's happening, you know, in the Gaunt's books, Gaunt's ghost books, some other books that have been, I think there was one, two books, I think, Brenda you remember I read The Snake and the Saint or something like that, or The Magister and the Martyr. All that stuff mm-hmm. is brought into, and there's a lot of these books are almost like sequels, all these stories are sequels to stuff that's already going on. And they're all very, very well written. I would definitely recommend Sabbath War if you were at all into Guard stuff. And then Soul Slayer's on deck because it's now on audio. So I'm going to jump into the Go Trek story right after I'm done with Sabbath War. I've continued listening to Dark Neck Diaries. Still fun. And both Cindy and I have started watching The Terminal List on uh, Prime it is really really good it is quite intense so if you're not into bloodshed you might want to skip it but the story and the intricacies of the stories and the treacheries and all the things going on that you don't expect at first so well done that you, you discover little parts and pieces as it's going, and you're going, oh, my God, oh, my God, I don't believe they did that. Oh, my God. Just constantly, every episode. <laughs> so we're halfway through now. We really had to control ourselves. Like, we watched episode one, and then we watched two on another night. And then we watched, like, episode three. And we finished, we looked at each other like okay, go for it. Let's go for four. And we finished (laughs) four. And then we kind of looked at each other like, no, we want to make this last. It's really good. We could have listened, watched another two episodes easily that one night. Yeah. Uh, So very good terminal list. And then uh, just as a reminder, the emperor protects episodes one through three for Horus heresy are now out and alive on the internet. You may want to listen to those. If you're new to the heresy or if you're a heresy veteran, just to catch up on what's going on and get some background. Doug at two plus tough. And I have been, Starting that show, and so far we got the good response. All right, it is now time for this or that. <laughs> okay, Brennan, I'm gonna let you ask your four to Tyler first.
0: Okay, Tyler, I have two Warhammer questions and two sport questions for you. Excellent. What would you like to start with? Would you like the sports questions or the Warhammer questions?
2: Let's go Warhammer questions.
0: Okay. We'll start with the easy one. What faction do you think is the biggest winner of this General's Handbook?
2: Well, the first one that comes to mind is Seraphon, because the notion was that they got hit with the Nerf bad. And, of course, (laughs) as always, you know, there are those tough hides, that scaly skin, man. Can't get through that. Can't damage them. They came out just fine. In fact, they are probably better than ever. So that's the the cheeky answer. I'm struggling to think. Uh, let's see. Let me try to give you. All right. So I'll start off my cheeky answer, and let me think about a more serious answer. Do you guys have one that comes to mind? Who's the biggest winner? Because I'm, I'm gonna s- I'm gonna say Night
1: Hunt did really well. So. Night Hunt's <laughs> got to be up there. Yeah, Dan. Anyway.
2: Nighthawk's got to be up there. You know, Brendan, Corn, uh, that changed the mm. blood tithe thing. That was a big
0: change, sure.
2: I really feel that has given them so much more life and given them a, a real identity. You know, in terms of they are legitimate anti-magic, not just a opposer anti-magic faction. Tyler, now just as
1: reference for listeners, what happened yeah. was when they got their blood tithe points before, once they spent them, everything was gone. Yeah. No matter how much they had, but now they can carry over their points, right? That's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah, exactly. So you could potentially auto-unbind multiple spells. Mm-hmm. In your opponent's hero phase you can do a lot yeah with it's leaning further into the johnnyness timmy johnny spike of magic the gathering uh, just google it if anybody if you're not familiar with it but johnny is the player archetype who likes to express their cleverness their creativity and you know so you can really corn has had a fair amount of that whereas especially with corn you think they're a timmy army their timmy is the side that really enjoys cool things happening, tends to enjoy running bigger models, bloodthirsters, and so on and so forth. Kind of very simplistic way to express it. But I think that's a, an incredible change to corn. Makes him a lot more intriguing.
0: Next Warhammer question for you, Tyler, is now that you've been a TO, has your perspective on events changed?
2: <laughs> of course. Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 I mean... That's
2: a great question. Oh, God, that is. Gosh, yeah. uh, Okay, so one side of me, you know, would like to encourage everyone to try to do it. And the other side would say nobody should ever in their right mind think about even think about running a tournament. Mm-hmm. At least, if you have the predilection of wanting to, you know, try to do things really as well as you can, and that is, if you're a little insane, if you're a little OCD, do not run a tournament. Or you're going to create probably a second and third job for yourself. I had no idea. Like, I knew it was, you have worked hard with Bruce City Brawl and Dave with NashCon, but no idea the amount of work involved. Or at least, and particularly, again, if you go a little overboard with a lot of things, which is what we did with Vault Wars. We did way too much, like the terrain and everything. So it's an entire show in itself. Like, yeah, the experience and the lessons learned and all of that. I mean, it was, I would not give it up for anything. It was an amazing experience. And it was like, it meant the world to me to get very sincere uh, Midwestern here for a minute that you guys did that show where you said you had a great time and so many people had a good time because <laughs> I was legitimately worried like that I was going to... We who did it, Travis, Carl, and the rest of us, we had so many people involved that we were going to disappoint you guys with the event. Cool. Okay. It was, it was a crazy experience.
0: I understand that feeling intimately. <laughs> yeah. Where does Kevin Durant go and how much ah! he effectively ah! trade for?
1: Friend oh sports question. And it's (laughs) open-ended.
0: Yep. Yeah. Don't worry. My last one is truly a this or that.
2: It kind of feels a bit of an impossible question to answer right now. If Rudy Gobert, the former center of the Utah Jazz, who's now part of the Minnesota Timberwolves, for practically the greatest theft in the last decade in America, arguably, Brendan, is that an overstatement? I think
0: the greatest theft in America, I think that is an overstatement <laughs> in professional sports. Professional I'm willing to level with you.
2: Okay, all right. <laughs> so if Rudy Gobert has set the new baseline, NBA teams are in trouble. Anyone who tries to figure out trades are in trouble because that, I think, at minimum means we're looking at multiple teams that are going to need to be involved for any of this to have a shot at making sense. I don't know that there is a team out there who could do a one-to-one right trade. Uh, it were even three teams that could do a, a trio with, with Kevin Durant to make that work. I mean, the Phoenix Suns were, you would have thought, maybe in a pre-Rudy Gobert trade world, that may have made sense. DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, and some picks for... Durant going to the Suns and you've got enough left in the Suns that Durant would be happy everybody would be happy I don't think that's the world we live in so I'm guessing that there's going to be just a crazy multi-team trade I have no dude I couldn't even begin to try to tell you my ultimate sense though is that Kevin Durant is going to remain with the Nets and Kyrie Irving is going to remain with the Nets and they're going to be a good team They'll make the playoffs, and we'll see how they do this time around. I don't think they're going to go anywhere, at least this year.
0: Last question, Tyler. Truly a this or that. Okay. The 2021 Milwaukee Bucks, great basketball team or the greatest
2: basketball team? (laughs) You did this last time, I think. That's fine. (laughs) Great basketball team. Ooh. (laughs) I mean, that's not
1: a serious question. Yeah, this is fanboy Brendan (laughs)
2: reacting to your answer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. According to Brendan. You know why Brendan Malnick? Because Tim yeah. Duncan was the ultimate team player. Dan, we're going to go on for an hour if you don't yeah, stop no, this, I know, um, I
1: know. So my four <laughs> questions, I have an AOS question, a general question, and then two food questions. So the first okay. one is, if you were going to start, Tyler, a brand new, at this time in the game, army, what would it be?
2: Ah, great question. Okay, so we'll set aside Nurgle, because that is the army. Don't tell Ilarial that I'm starting Nurgle,
1: but uh, that's the army that
2: I am starting right now, so let's keep that quiet. What army would I start? (laughs) Gosh, that's a great question. Soulblight is fascinating. To me, Soulblight, at least in the Blast season, struck me as the strongest
1: but most fair army. So I would probably do Soulblight. Okay. If you were going to take a vacation from Springfield, Missouri, are you going to head north or are you going to head south? Probably north
2: to go hang out with Season of War buddies. Fill out the bingo oh, okay. card. We got a Season of War reference in. We did it. it. Took us four hours. Would love to go see all our Canadian friends to the north. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and put cool. Ridge and Jordan in their place. A- <laughs> AKA, oh, you know, get my butt kicked by yeah, Ridge and Jordan. Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs>
1: So, food question, do you prefer green or other colored vegetables, like yellow, oh. red? All right, Dan, well, I'm, uh, despite the accent
2: or appearances otherwise, living in an ivory tower, according to Brenda Melnick, I am, a. <laughs> I think, actually a fairly qualified redneck okay growing up in missouri so what are some examples of yellow vegetables
1: oh there would be like squash you could have yellow peppers those would be two you could have red peppers let's go with non-green vegetables non-green okay i mean all vegetables are vegetables they're just vegetables that's (laughs) all they are okay fair enough (laughs) yeah yeah you're definitely a carnivore and that's good yeah (laughs) okay Okay, good. Would you prefer... Good on hashtag cancel Tyler this episode. I'm going to really get it. Over. Mexican or Asian food?
2: Oh, man. That's a tough one. That's really tough. Probably Asian. Okay. Just in terms of the variety. Okay. But okay. Uh, love both. You get two You guys got to have some oh. Springfield-style cashew chicken sometime. Next time you get to oh. Springfield Mo. that's... Maybe okay. one of the things we're most famous for, for better or worse. Oh, wow. Springfield-style cashew chicken is
1: basically redneck cashew chicken. Okay. So Is it like hot chicken? chicken? Like Nashville hot chicken or something? Is it really spicy? No, or... it's basically
2: like kind of imagine a you know, styrofoam takeout uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I can of a bunch of kind of chicken nugget-sized, kind of like fried chicken. And wow. there's um, this great kind of, yeah, sauce, kind of gravy sauce on there. Nice. Uh, put some cashews, put some green onions
1: it's fantastic all right so you have two questions you can either split them up begin to direct them both at one of us or whatever you want to do two questions i'm getting gypped here
2: if you have more i think you can
1: it's more of a guideline than a rule so
2: okay so it's like picks yeah. of
1: the week situation yeah. all right we'll take that sure that's a warm weekly reference
2: for vanson yeah. his yeah. ridiculous idea that you're limited to one pick dan but are starting with
1: you what is your favorite battle plan of all time and why my favorite battle plan, see I don't know the names of them half the time, I just know you can what they describe were. describe them? The one where I think we always started tournaments with. Is that Savage Games where you have one in your First territory, one in your territory, one in the other guy's territory, yours count as four, the other one's count yep, as that's two. that's Savage Games. Okay, yeah. that's the one I love. I, it's just, it's so simple, so elegant. Cool, man. Alright, Brendan,
2: he stole yours, so you gotta give me a different answer.
0: Answer than the mission that I've already been on record is stating is mission zero. Yeah.
2: yeah. What's number two?
0: Oh, man. So mission number 0.
2: 0.5.
1: Um,
0: I actually do really enjoy the name Escapes Me, but it's the four objectives in each quadrant, and if you hold all four of them, you win automatically. Oh. I am quite fond of that mission.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah blood and Glory. Old school. Yeah. yeah. I always liked that one too, guys. I always thought that was a better separator for a tournament, the Knife to the Heart had arguments with folks Mm -hmm. over the years about that because everybody would always play Knife to the Heart, but yeah, I thought Blood and Glory was more interesting on that point, but okay, cool. Again, for both you guys, I'm kind of cheating here, which is on brands. We'll start with Brendan this time. Throughout your time playing AOS, my friends, what list have you found the most rewarding and why?
0: Oh, this one's super easy. It's close competition between basically the lists I played in Handbook 2017 of either Nagash and 800 points of summoning, or folks who are new to this, this game you used to have to set aside summoning points <laughs> to summon models onto the board. So your games were never more than 2,000 points. Everything was paid for and accounted for. It was wild.
2: You'd hide a second army of summoning under the table. They yeah. could shuffle through, pull out what you needed. Yeah. yeah,
0: so that list was Nagash, who did not have access to more than five spells, He could cast eight, but could not cast... Like, didn't have anything more than five unless you were playing one of the other two death players at the events and you stole the knowledge of their spells from just existing. (laughs) A necromancer on horse, which was a war scroll, and three units of ten zombies... Is you could take them in 10s back in the day, and 800 points of summoning, where I would pack a large supply of different models and summon to the board exactly what my opponent didn't want to see. Death was in a horrible place as a faction, just overall, and that was rewarding because of how absolute uphill some of those were. Mm-hmm. Or, early 2018, the Legions of Nagash Tome came out, And the list was Ash, Necromancer on foot, because the Necromancer on horse was gone. Not to be confused with Necromancer with hat. (laughs) And like a hundred models. And I am absolutely certain that list is the reason that the coherency rules (laughs) from first to second edition exist.
1: Yeah. Dan, what about you? I think my list that I took to Nashcon and the one I took to Bruce City with a giant Mm -hmm. in it. It was just so much. I had Raikonor. I had like two units or three units of 20 Chain so I had a unit of Heritans. It was the first time ever that I actually killed stuff with my Night Hunt. Mm. It was so good. I played one guy. He had two Maw Crushers, and I ended up killing them both. I had another guy that he had like three Stonehorns and a what's the the Thunder Tusk, I think, whatever else. I ended up killing all of his big models on the table. And it was like, wow, this is really cool. This game is really neat when you kill big models. It was just a neat, neat feeling to be able to do something. Yeah, wow. It was just amazing. But now that the rules have changed the way they have for my army, I can do as much work as that giant can do, if not more, honestly. Sure. That's why I wouldn't play a giant anymore. Just because for the points, I could get like 20 or 30 blade guys. Yeah, hello. I'll take them all day. So that would be the list I really enjoyed in the last few years.
2: So I've got two more. I'm just going to do one. But okay. the, the second one I'll mention at the end as maybe just a, a show idea for you guys for consideration. Okay. Sure. And Brandon might know the one that I'll be referring to here at the end. Out of the 3.0, uh, Dan, we'll start with you this time. Out of the 3.0 battle tomes that we have received so far. Mm. So here, of course, I'm referring to Stormcast and Orc Warclans, right? As the starting point, the, the Red Spine mm-hmm. battletones mm mm-hmm. The ones we received so far, which one do you think is the best designed and why? So that design is subjective, you know, however you would delineate what constitutes best designed
1: and why. What do you think, Dan? Having read through the Sylvaneth book a fair amount now in the last couple weeks that I've had it, and all the others, you know, as well that we've gone through, but I really think the Sylvaneth has this really good amount and balance of synergy in what mm. the units can do. I think you can play it in very different ways and be successful. I would say that in terms of design, maybe not table success, but design, I really like the way they've redone the Sylvaneth book. Nice, man. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, yeah, to an agree, I think.
2: We didn't get into it in the show uh, more weekly the other day, but I'm a little concerned. It's just going to depend on how things play out in terms of good players playing this army at tournaments. You know, where they are... An army like Ideneth that is going to have a wide spectrum of results, depending on player skill in particular, because I think the Ideneth and Sylvaneth are two armies that are so player, kind of heavily weighted in terms of player skill expression, Mm. where I could see this army in the hands of top players just doing terrible things to people with how powerful it can be potentially. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm hoping that the points have been put at a high enough level collectively that you know, that will help keep it in check. But Strike and Fade alone, right, that mechanic of where yeah, you yes. have multiple ways to hit reliable charges and then get out of dodge yep. into safety with no recourse from your opponent. Yeah, that that's such a powerful ability, in addition to so many other powerful abilities with that book. Mm-hmm. Brendan. Brendan, what's yours?
0: Deacon, I think because I've seen a fair few lists, I've seen a fair few of them do well, I've not seen two identical ones really in the same place at the same time, and that's been pretty neat to me.
1: Yeah. Are
2: you guys pretty happy with 3.0 battle tomes so
1: far? Yeah. I think we've enjoyed covering them. There's it- only one exception that I can think of, and we haven't covered that one yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that in there for you, Brendan just yeah. so. You.
0: Sure. I think they've done a really good job of keeping a lot of this in the same ballpark, and that's important, right? One, <laughs> one of the sentiments that has been noted about previous edition of Games Workshop games is power creep of the most recent Battle Tome Codex rule book being the far and away winner, and that's the thing that's going to win tournaments or beat up your friends, you know, at the local gaming store. One of the things that's been really nice about three Battle Tomes is you get a sense on first pass of. You know, oh, quite a number of these things are good, or, you know, this combination jumps out to me, and you start writing lists, and, you know, you can get something that you're quite happy with. But mm-hmm. very often it takes a while to get the dumbest list available out and on the table doing what it's supposed to because there are other things that have presented reasonable paths forward to success, and that's excellent.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Okay, so the last one I won't ask this because it is a longer one, but. Yeah, if you guys might find this potentially an interesting topic in the future, it's one that I find compelling. What do you think are some of the main factors between someone being a good AOS player and a great AOS player? Now, you could expand this to maybe go three elements, right? An intermediate player, a good player, and a great player. Because I feel that there are you know sizable gaps, meaningful gaps, yeah. between those three, intermediate, good, and great. And that, you know, it might be possible to try to pin down what are some of those generalizable factors between those three levels of skill.
1: Something to consider. Thank you. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I I think that's an interesting one.
1: We'll throw that in there, Brendan.
2: Yeah, one of those shows
0: that we can do when there are no shows to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's it for this or that, gentlemen. So let's move on to show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. So it's show close, and because it is Sunday, we're going to do Sunday announcements. So Brendan, take it away.
0: Kabunda up for pre-order. It's for Horse Heresy specifically, but it's a Demon Prince Bloodthirster thing. Sweet. Can be used everywhere. (laughs) Technically has like a chain axe, but I mean, that's not hard to fix. No. Some Necromunda (sighs) stuff, a knight, some kill team things. Yeah, some kill team. There's a Warhammer Worlds diorama book. Okay know like sure you like coffee table things like that some books everyone loves some books oh books about ocr bone reapers
1: oh very exciting oh wow Okay. okay books 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 all right I know you like books. Yeah, I do. I really do. They're cool things. All right, so that's not the announcements. We had one very quick Q&A, so this will be our first one. And, Brendan, you and I were talking before. We're not going to have, like, six or seven questions. We'll do one or two each episode just to keep it short but meaningful. The question I got was fairly simple. This is Tom. And Tom asked, are you still going to be doing your every other week episodes? And yeah, that's the plan. We certainly don't want to go more often. Just, there's too much going on in our lives, and we don't want to, you know, overpromise and underdeliver. We'd rather have it the other way around. Occasionally, we're going to go to three weeks, you know, if we have some life event or something that comes out. But yeah, we're going to try to keep it bi-weekly. So, episode 102, Rats. No, no, like, really, rats. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to cover the Skaven battle tone. Brendan, you can leave the room when I talk about this. It's okay, buddy. So, yeah, we're going to cover Skaven next time. Yeah, we'll get through that. And a lot of crazy cool stuff in there. Just, man, shooting. Can you say shooting? Man, it's scary. I'll, Got a
0: lot of shooting. Got a lot of combat practices. Ooh. I don't know that much of the accepted archetype has changed, but we'll... Find out when we talk about that in a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is it for this episode. Tyler, as always, my friend, thank you so much for being with us. We really love having you on the show. And it's exciting to know we're going to get to see you more often here. Yeah, man. Yeah, and we're going to get to see you like twice on the show and then at your event every year.
2: This annual event that I'm locked in for eternity to run? Yes, until, by the way you are. Until yeah. Super Intelligence or the Extinction takes us. by the way.
0: <laughs> One the other don't year. worry, if the hotel never responds to you then you don't have to run the event anymore. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs>
1: right. oh God. Way to engineer that. <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank you both so very much, Brendan. Thank you as always. And uh, yeah, everybody, yeah, thank you for being here and for listening and joining in our little community here and we really appreciate your support. And so so you all take care, stay safe, and just remember shenanigans because life is better when you're up to something. Bye.
2: This is the end.